Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. This summer, we'll be traveling at an altitude of approximately two feet in a brand new Nissan. We invite you to enjoy the available panoramic views, premium seats in all rows, and connected tech, while avoiding baggage fees, layovers, and neck pillows. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy non-stop routes to summer, because the best way to travel this season is in a new Nissan. And now is the best time to buy at the Nissan 4th of July sales event. Save up to $3,500 on the 2020 Nissan Rogue or get 0% APR financing on 13 models. Nissan, innovation that excites. For well-qualified buyers, $3,500 on 2020 Rogue consists of $3,000 cash back and $500 bonus cash. Available on purchase. Must purchase from new dealer stock. See dealer for financing details. Call 1-888-858-8319 for offer and safety information details. Offers in 7-6-2020. And welcome back. Uh, can I use your mic? DJ, hit me! This is the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Gary Hoffman. The problem, sir, is that our hero is not, uh, he's not a handsome man. Shannon Farron. The whole crowd banged together and started chanting. Gary and Shannon. That's how the show started. Panic on the brain, Michael's gone insane, Julie starts to make me nervous, I don't in the batch of quarantine songs that will be written in the coming weeks and months? Probably. Here's the thing. Uh, people are all on Twitter about uh, when are we going to reopen and is it going to be May and May 1st and maybe into June. And I'm like, uh, we're, according to the scientists, we're about 12 to 18 months away from a vaccine on this thing. And... Call me crazy. Yes. But. My pleasure. I think we're going to be under some sort of amended stay-at-home order until we get a vaccine. Yeah. Here's. No? I I spent a lot of time thinking about this because my wife is. uh, She she claims that I'm the rule follower in the family. I don't like to. I don't like to go out on a limb. So this whole stay-at-home thing has been easy for me to follow. I mean, outside of the fact that we come to work every day. But I mean. The, I was the guy who was like, I don't want to wear a mask. And now I have one in the car. I didn't wear one into the building today, even though we're technically supposed to. Um, it's real hard to do a radio show with a mask on. That's true. And that's probably the only reason why it's not on right now. But there's going to there's gonna be increasing pressure over these next couple of weeks where people are going to say, okay, all right, listen. The the death count in L.A. County is going to go down. Um, we're going to see – listen, California – to keep it in perspective, California has fewer deaths since the beginning of this thing than New York has been uh, losing seven 800 people a day. We in California have 600-plus people who have died total, the, not, not every day. The good news about New York, despite the fact that they – 
put up 671 new deaths yesterday. It was the first time in a week that the daily toll was below 700. So while 671 is still horrific, it looks like they're headed in the right direction. They now have a death toll of more than 10,000 just in New York. Just in New York State. Now, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo in his news conference today was was as happy as I have seen him. I mean, clearly the announcement of 671 new deaths is is sad, and it's got to be taxing to get out there and do that every day. But he also said the number of people who have been admitted to ICUs specifically is down. The number of people admitted to the hospital in general is down. The need for ventilators is down. All of these things are pointing to the fact that fewer and fewer people are getting it in the first place, which is great news. Now, what are is what will it take to get back to some semblance of reopening of the economy? And can you do it where a place like San Francisco, right? San Francisco succeeded. I think they win in all of this, right? Because San Francisco and the surrounding counties in the Bay Area went on lockdown and everybody's like, well, you can't do that. That's yeah. crazy. That, right. that will never go. It turns out, you know, three and a half billion people around the world are under similar orders. And it worked in San Francisco. It worked in a place that's got probably the highest per capita population or, or uh, geographically the, the densest population in the state. They win. They've only had six deaths, four deaths, six deaths, something like that in, in all of San Francisco County. I'm still waiting for the homeless spike or maybe we I, don't get one. I, and then I was thinking maybe living on the street boosts that immune system. <laughs> I don't know. Possible. Listen, I don't think it's going to be you. You said, you know, the 12 to 18 months for a vaccine for widespread vaccine for the one that you and I get. Yeah, it's probably a good year. Who was that? sneezing yeah who was that somebody needs to get on that board is that nick again oh damn it God. <laughs> uh you know i was thinking I, as i was listening to to nick get about of the covid this morning in the office yes. it reminded me my brother i think my brother had this thing in during football season because i remember us being at games and him doing that kind of stuff and just and i was calling him typhus for a while i was like hey you doing all right over there typhus and I'm just like, I'm going through all the symptoms, and I'm like, I think he had that, yeah. like, in the fall. Listen, there's there's the other suggestion. The L.A. Times ran a big article about it over the weekend about how this has been in California yeah. for a time now. I mean, not just – it wasn't the end of February. It's probably November. I mean, the number of people that we yes. have coming in from China every single day or had every single day is in the thousands. So it's likely that California and the rest of the West Coast saw this before anybody was really before it even made headlines in China, it was probably here in the United States, here in the West Coast. And people just called it the flu or the the pneumonia or the pneumono flu or whatever they want to call it. I am so glad to see blue sky right now because yesterday was a struggle yeah, with the rain all day long. And it was just my I mean, I was kind of just at the over it. My frustration yesterday was that it never rained. It never rained at my house. Oh, really? It rained never the whole once. day at mine. But it was it was the same color and light, like from that the darkness. moment I woke yeah, up yeah. 
all the way until yeah. about seven o'clock last night. Nothing yes. changed. And then when I woke up this morning, same lighting. Same there. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. Not now today. I have se- seasonal affective disorder. Not on day um, bongo. That's for not sure. Not on day bongo. Remember with day tow truck when we bought a ham? Seems like it was a while ago, it's, but yeah. Seems like it was a week and a half ago. That Don't we, you think we should have thrown that out instead it. of leaving it on the counter? <laughs> no, Nick put it in the refrigerator, I think. No, I took it home. Okay. I'll make some split pea soup out of it. Oh, that's oh. fantastic. I'll bring it in. Really? Yeah. You can make split pea oh, soup? I can make anything. Wow. Jacob is a great asset to the team. Yeah. He brings something instead of take something. I'll show you some pork chops that I made last night. Yes. Wow. It's amazing. He's full what of surprises. What do you have in he there? He doesn't there? drink soda, and he can make anything, including split, uh, split pea soup. What's your fastest mile time? Oh, I think it was like nine. Okay. Back in middle school. All right. Just so picture. That kind of sucked. So <laughs> you're like 447. <laughs> uh, things are getting real in some, uh, in some homes. Yesterday, I got a text from one of my girlfriends, and she and her husband were talking about weight loss Uh-oh. during the quarantine. She's been working out every day. And she said that she's been working out every day. It's most she's worked out regularly in a long time, but she hasn't lost one pound. In the meantime, he, her husband, has lost five pounds. And she said, he says to that, well, I haven't been snacking like oh, you have. Why would, he, why would he say that? Why would he say that? <laughs> I mean, that's suicide. That statement is suicide i don't know if he made it through the night honestly well i'll have to ask for proof of life there was also a story that uh, we you know we've talked about how alcohol sales are up yeah um alcohol sales up 22 percent in that last week of march that that that's not as big as it was in the two weeks before that but it's higher than expected so beer flavored malt cider sold 17 percent more than in the same week of march of last year and they said that online sales of alcohol for March increased by 291% over the previous year, which isn't surprising. I mean, places like BevMo and uh, uh, big liquor stores like that, they're not – a lot of them are not open, and they're only doing online st- uh, online orders. So, okay. I texted him, are you still alive? Nothing in response. Uh-oh. We may have lost him. <laughs> She may be snacking on his body. <laughs> um, when we come back, I, I want to get into this Fauci thing. Oh, um, yeah. The the idea that he, I don't know, threw the president under the bus. When you listen to the comments. I don't think that's what that was. No, people are making a lot out of this, and I don't think there's anything there. Um, by the way, as far as I can tell, the president deleted the retweet. He retweeted somebody who had the hashtag fire Fauci on their tweet. I, I think he's gotten rid of it. I think. I'm I'm still doing my homework on that. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. He is still alive. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The usual news conferences coming up later in the show. Uh, we expect to hear from Governor Newsom at about noon. Uh, then the L.A. County updated about 1 o'clock. Uh, but again, California is doing very, very well. 
uh, in this whole thing. Uh, some severe weather overnight in the deep south. At least 20, I saw as many as 22 people may have been killed in Mississippi, Georgia, Arkansas, and South Carolina. Dozens more to be pulled from damaged buildings and taken to the hospital. About a million and a half people were without electricity earlier today uh, as they saw those tornadoes roll through. Well, the big headline this morning was a retweet by the president who retweeted a comment that a Republican uh, assembly person. No, she's running for Congress. Running for Congress. Okay, so he goes on CNN and is talking about the New York Times report about the slow response in the United States, slow response in the administration and and what led into that, in in its opinion. Fauci was on CNN. Yeah. You just said he. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Fauci's on CNN. And he says... We didn't tell people what we were talking about on the air. I mean, in the commercial. Never mind. We were talking oh, about Fauci. Okay. That's all. I just I'm want handled. to catch everybody I'm up. now. Okay. I get it. So just Please don't run down the street. <laughs> Can we talk about no, that? No, we're not going to talk right. about it. So anyway, so Fauci says something to the effect of, well, obviously, if we had more of a head start on this, we would have saved lives. Here's Fauci with Jake Tapper. To just say this is all happening because we got started too late. Obviously, if you look, could you have done something a little bit earlier? Would it have had an impact? Obviously. But where we are right now is the result of a number of factors. The size of the country, the heterogeneity of the country. It's, I think it's a little bit unfair to compare us to South Korea where they had an outbreak in Daegu and they had the capability of immediately essentially shutting it off completely (laughs) in a way that we may not have been able to do in this country. So obviously I would have been nice if we had a better head start, but I don't think you could say that we are where we are right now because of one factor. It's very complicated, Jake. So the tweet that she puts out says something to the effect of, oh, it's fake news, time to fire Fauci. Yeah, is she Fauci? Okay, this is the tweet that she put out. Fauci's now saying that had Trump listened to the medical experts earlier, he could have saved more lives. Fauci was telling people on February 29th that there was nothing to worry about and it posed no threat to the U.S. public at large. Time to hashtag fire Fauci. The president retweeted that and added this. Sorry, fake news. It's all on tape. I banned China long before people spoke up. Thank you, uh... Uh, I think that's one America news is that he, um, I guess, added in there. Listen, this, the, I, 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 yes, I, it's clear that no matter who is the president, there have been shortcomings in the way that this has gone, right? I mean, we didn't have the widespread testing that we should have had. We're the greatest country in the world. Why are we taking, why, why do we have to rely on 800,000 tests from South Korea or Germany or something like that? We should be at the forefront. We're not. But but continuing to bag on this, this in this way and in this fashion and try to pit, you know, Anthony Fauci against Donald Trump, it's ridiculous. It's like you're sitting in the back of the car yelling at your parents, you guys missed the exit. You missed the exit. And instead of trying to figure out, okay, where how do we still get to where we're going? You're just in the back seat continuing to yell. Yeah. Uh, no, you missed the exit. We can take the next one and we loop back. No, you missed the exit. Right. Uh, I think people freaked out, too, because they have this weird security blanket thing for Dr. Fauci where yes. they feel like he is He's untouchable. Is that what you're going to say? No. Oh, 
no, but, sorry, different security blanket thing for me then. But but yes, he is untouchable. <laughs> you can't the, the idea that that there's a the idea that the the president would fire this man terrifies people because this is the guy that's trying to make everything make sense for all of us and trying to make us feel better about this. And he's got this semblance of control over the situation, maybe a little bit. In our minds, and the idea that the president would fire him and we wouldn't have him anymore right. is terrifying. There goes the to runner people. on the ship at that. Point. Yes, people are all, all on social media saying if if Fauci goes, we're effed. Uh, it's just it's Fauci is the Lucy Jones of this whole deal, this whole earthquake, and he's making us feel better, but he doesn't give us any more control over the thing. My wife, uh, my wife found my Fauci shirt. Uh huh. Yeah, she wore it to bed last night. Oh, that's a creative way to spice things up. Not what you think. Is it? No. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Gary and Shannon will continue. Uh, I had a troubling morning when I found out that one of the largest pork processing facilities is closing. It'll be fine. They take away my pork. How many pork processing plants are there in the United States? I don't know, but if, if the meat's... If the meats are in jeopardy, if the meats dry up, I will lose my s. Okay. Not take away my meat. I had bacon for Easter. I had bacon every mm. day <laughs> the past twenty she years. Had, she had bacon for day bongo. She had bacon for day tow truck. She's gonna have bacon for day goo. Uh, yes. uh, Jane Wells is gonna join us. We'll talk about that uh, pork processing plant and. Just food chain stuff in general. How our food supply is going as we get into this uh, several weeks now of uh, quarantine. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, alive everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Some of the news coming in out of New York. Not great, but, but definitely better. New York's uh, death toll has topped 10,000. Governor Cuomo said hospitals are still seeing uh, 2,000 new patients a day. They had 671 new deaths on Sunday alone. But as we mentioned, it was the first time in a week the daily toll dipped below 700. Um, Good news. Good. No. Good. Good morning, America. ABC News. Good morning, America. George Stephanopoulos tested positive. Which isn't a surprise. His wife tested positive a while ago and she's been she had a really rough go of this. Um, he announced today that he tested positive for COVID-19, but then said, but I don't feel anything. Like he had zero symptoms of this whole thing. His wife, meanwhile, has been laid up in bed for a week. Troubling news as we learn that one of the largest pork processing facilities in the country is closing until further notice. Jane Wells joins us now. She is on the story. Jane, please tell me my bacon will will still be around. <laughs> you know what? Here's the problem with bacon. I mean, I've been busy covering everything from strawberries to milk to cheese to bacon. Bacon, more than those other products, really depends on the restaurant industry because we don't buy bacon for our house as much as we buy it when we go out for breakfast or get a burger with it or a cob salad. So bacon prices are coming down, and farmers are actually, according to the Wall Street Journal, just melting their pork bellies and selling it as lard. Mm. So Smithfield Foods, uh, the largest pork producer in the U.S., which is actually owned by a Chinese company, by the way, is closing one of its plants, which takes about 5% of the national pork supply offline. But the reason why it's closing the plant is because so many workers there 
have COVID-19. And actually, about half of all people in North Dakota who have COVID-19 are in that plant, which leads to a whole other issue going on right now. You know, it's berry season in California. you got 40,000 farm workers out there uh, picking berries. It's going to be peach season in other parts of the country, too. And, you know, there's always something being picked. And I cannot find a single farmer who will say, oh, yeah, we've had a reported uh, sickness yet, because farm workers are not like, oh, hey, you know what? I think I have COVID-19. No, no. So what they're trying to do is they're keeping them six feet apart in the field and have had some great success with that. And you see farm workers wearing bandanas around or face masks. The problem is and when they go home or under the visa program where you're mandated to have housing for them and transportation for them, well, you're not going to reconfigure your housing so there's only one person to a room. So that's that to me is a bigger threat to our food supply right now is whether the people who are out there picking it, uh, slaughtering it, processing it, whatever you want to call it, whether they stay healthy. The other thing is that the, you know, we've talked for the last month or so, it feels like about the, the food supply chains and that, yeah. I mean, yeah. we're all still, I guess, eating the same amount. I guess some of us are eating more than others, but, uh, or more than usual just to get through the discomfort of it. But dairies have had to dump milk. Why, why are they dumping right. milk? Well, again, about half the business goes to restaurants and food service. And it's different packaging. Sometimes it's different products. Sometimes you have to use different trucks. And you can't turn that business on a dime overnight. And milk doesn't last, so you have to dump it. It's, it's like you might sell a big round of cheese to a restaurant, whereas you've got to shred it up into little packages for the grocery store. And so they're not able to do that right away. What is interesting, though, about the dairy industry compared to some of the others is a lot of those farmers are still getting paid for that milk because they're all in a co-op where they chip in profits to keep you know some stability. But the more milk they have to dump, the lower those payments are going to be. How are you doing? How's your family doing? Uh, we're all good. You know, I last time I went to the grocery store was a week ago today. I'm waiting to go tomorrow. Um, I, if anybody has any toilet paper, hit me up. Um, we're getting a little low, and uh, um, I'm starting to look at, you know, uh, like paper out of the copy machine. <laughs> Maybe one of those bidets. I don't know that you attach to your toilet, but they're running low as well. So, uh, so yeah, you know, one other, let me just tell you one other thing about uh, the food supply uh, from the farm that I find fascinating is we get about 200,000 migrant workers, mostly from Mexico every year, and the government's not issuing new visas, but the farmers had a cow, so they're letting previous visa holders in. I asked the farmer in South Carolina who's got a huge operation, well, if unemployment's going up, why don't we make all these Americans go out there? He says, look, I pay $12 an hour, which is five bucks higher than the minimum wage in South Carolina, but it still can't compete with the new higher unemployment insurance. So he's like, no, we didn't have anybody step up during the Great Recession. And with an extra 600 bucks a week from the government, he says, that's, that's not going to happen. What's the uh, what's the first thing you're going to do when you can get out uh, there? I am going to go to Los Agaves and Westlake Village and go to the bar and ask Enrique for the biggest margarita ever. <laughs> that sounds nice. What oh, about you guys? Uh, I'm just going to go to dinner with my wife. 
I want to get on a plane and go somewhere. I was going through old pictures, and I had a picture out my window when I spent a week in Cleveland for football, and I bitched about it, like, oh, I'm stuck in Cleveland for a week. I'd kill to go to Cleveland right now. I'd kill to go anywhere. Like, I need to go somewhere. (laughs) Wow. End times. End times. Yeah. Jane, thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. You bet. Jane Wells there again with uh, CNBC and you hear her on KFI all the time. Um, that pork processing facility in, uh, man, in South Dakota. Smithfield Pork Processing in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, when we come back, there are a couple of signs in terms of what the other side looks like. When we get out of this, when the economy starts back up again, Italy, Spain, they've reopened some of their stores. We'll explain what. Uh, what they are doing while they're getting people back to work. We will go to the other side. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. couple things to tell you about. Number one, these finger condoms are really troubling. It's disgusting. It's really gross, and it makes me sad looking at them. makes me real sad. <laughs> It's for people who they want to don't want to wear gloves. Well, if so you put in these, if Jacob is concerned about the his hands sweating while while working the board in there, he could wear finger condoms. Are you or, wearing or them? one? Ugh. I just have one on, and it's on your pinky. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I don't man. know what's going on. <laughs> we posted uh, the pictures on our social media pages, so you can be grossed out too. Uh, uh, something else exciting to tell you about. Now, I don't know how excited to get about it, but you know those freeway boards where they put messages up? Yeah. And they tell everybody to social distance and keep your, yes? Yeah, like end of days. Right. And sometimes there's grammatical mistakes, which bothers me. But anyway, today I'm driving on the 210 and the board says that the 5 from the 134 to the 170 is going to be closed for about a week or so. And you know what that is? That's the 5 through Burbank. Are they finally fixing that ass? Uh, Did somebody yeah, listen to the show? They're tearing the bridge down, I think. The Burbank Boulevard oh, Bridge over the freeway. It's just the bridge? Well, I mean, they're closing the road down so they can take the bridge down. If they don't also fix the road and the, the holes the size of sofas Man, while they're doing that? Would, would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. But, and again. I have my fingers crossed that that's what they're doing. Um, th- oh, I want to say something about the masks. Because people last week were talking about how police were be, were pulling people over and issuing tickets for, for not wearing a mask in your car. Okay, again, that's not happening. And if you know somebody whose coworker has a brother whose cousin got pulled over for that, it's, it's bull crap. It's not happening. It's a COVID urban legend. If you in L.A. County, if you are going into an essential business or you work at an essential business, you're supposed to cover your face, face covering, not a mask necessarily, but a face covering, cloth, something like that. When I went out for my run yesterday, I didn't have to wear a face mask. I didn't have to wear a covering because it's not an essential thing. I'm not going I'm not going to speak to anybody. In fact, I didn't even run past anybody yesterday. Seal Beach and uh, the sheriff's department in Santa Clarita Valley had to issue clarifications on their policies the seal beach police department had said originally that uh that they were you know if you're going to be outside you should wear a mask those who must go outside protect others by taking necessary precautions 
And then people start freaking out. Oh, I saw Bob. Bob was walking around the neighborhood and he was not wearing a mask. You should arrest him. And the police had to clarify, listen, if you're going to an essential business or you're in an essential business, you should wear a face covering. Uh, Santa Clarita, same thing. People were walking on the Paseos. I saw Gloria and Gloria's not wearing a face mask. Gloria's not bothering you. They say if you can, wear it. If you're not doing something essential like that, then don't worry about it. The IRS announced over the weekend it has begun sending those stimulus payments to eligible Americans who have a direct deposit. Started on Saturday. Individual taxpayers who make less than seventy-five grand will be eligible for $1,200 checks. Married couples who make less than one hundred and fifty grand will get $2,400. Now... They're they're rolling this out over several weeks, right? Because I understand that the paper checks themselves won't go out for a couple of months yeah. potentially. That's not good because those are the people who are going to need it more. Potentially most of the people who are not e-filing are going to be in lower income brackets anyway, and they're, the go- they're going to be the ones who need it more right. quickly. Um, Spain is starting to return to work today. Non-essential workers like factory workers, construction personnel were allowed to go back to their jobs after a two-week ban. Police showed up to the different metro stations around Spain and handed out millions of masks, millions of face coverings. Uh, the, The wider coronavirus lockdown is still in force in that they're telling people do not go out unless you have to. But. Metal workers, builders, cleaners, factory and shipyard workers, uh, sanitation, security workers have started going back to work in Spain. Here's the other important thing. In Italy, or Italy, they're going to allow people to go to bookshops. Stationery shops are going to reopen. Stores that sell children's clothes will reopen tomorrow. In Denmark, schools and daycare centers reopen on Wednesday, allowing some parents to go back to work. Austria is also opening some shops this week. This next conversation, uh, whether it's the um, the news conference later today from the White House, the Coronavirus Task Force, uh, the governor's news conference, there have to be discussions now about when and how we get things back up and running. And do you do it in a on a regional basis? Do you say the western United States, as the weather picks up, May 1st, we'll start to see some loosening of restrictions? Uh, does Barbara Ferrer say that May 15th is the shelter-in-place order? That's when it's supposed to end, May 15th. Does she bump it up by a week and say, hey, May 8th? What's the matter? What do you do to your face? Somebody sent me a meme that says pigs are pink dogs. Don't eat them. Pigs are pink dogs. Yeah. Have I'm you ever... upset over my baking consumption? Oh. Pigs are pink dogs. They're not. No. They're dogs. Really not. Dogs are furry or pigs. <laughs> hey, throughout the month of April, <laughs> KFI has teamed up with the Dodgers and Dodgers Foundation to raise funds that will help provide critical donations to support COVID-19 relief efforts in L.A. Grants will be directed to those in need, such as My Friend's Place and the Mayor's Fund of L.A. Donate any dollar amount today by texting RELIEF to 41623. Text RELIEF to 41623. Details at KFIAM640.com. Keyword RELIEF. Large-scale antibody testing is coming to California. We'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. It's the fun, it's the fun. 
young love. It's a strange, it's a strange beast. It is. How's it? How's that bacon? Oh, it was delicious. If my dog tasted like bacon, his days would be numbered. I'll just say that. <laughs> I, I just like doing it because people are going to lose their minds. Yes. Uh, Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Following, of course, our coronavirus numbers, unfortunately. We're up a, up over 1.8 million confirmed cases around the world, 116,000 deaths. In the United States, we're at uh, 22,000 deaths. New York has almost half of those at 9,385. And in California, we only have 682 deaths total. Uh, I had an earthquake dream last night. Was there an earthquake? No, but oh. there was in my dream. Oh, okay. And in fact, the Associated Press decided to ask the question, uh, what if we get an earthquake or a mudslide or a flood or a wildfire while we're being urged to stay at home? And in fact, state and local officials are trying to figure that out as we speak. The California Office of Emergency Services spokesperson says it's something that's being looked at, but it's challenging. Could you imagine an earthquake on top of this bad boy? I don't. I'm I'm beginning to fall out of love with the quarantine shelter in place thing. Beginning to start to think it's about time. I don't want to kill anybody. That's not what I'm saying. Just starting to get uncomfortable with it. And the idea that if there was an earthquake or a wildfire that caused mass evacuations... People aren't going to worry about whether they're six feet away from people. You put a mask on or your face covering, and you're going to continue to wash your hands. None of that precludes, you know, uh, an earthquake doesn't preclude you from still being clean unless, you know, something happens with the water supply. Keeping people apart means that they would need to open more shelters, of course, to house the same number of evacuees because you're not going to see a gymnasium with 7,000 cots on the floor. What do you mean you're falling out of love with this stay at home thing? I mean, I get it. We're all getting uncomfortable. That's We're, what I mean. Yeah. It's I, I just, and I, again, it's still a good idea. It is a great idea, but but to your, I forgot to finish this uh, last hour. We were talking about your suggestion that you know we're we're a long ways away from having this thing behind us. I mean, to the point where most people would be vaccinated if they wanted to get it, or most people would have had it and developed an immunity to it, the herd immunity, but. I feel like there's so many things that we've we've learned, I guess, or practiced over the last couple of weeks that we would take it into into our everyday lives. So let's say total hypothetical June 1st, L.A. County says restaurants can be open, but with 50 percent seating capacity or something like that. You'll still see people in there walk in with masks and gloves. But they'll they'll want to be in a restaurant. You're not going to see people shaking hands. Everybody's still going to look at you sideways if you cough. Nick, uh, all of that. I mean, you'll still see a lot of that stuff in place. Um, so, and it eventually will sort of wear out. Eventually, but it's going to be. I think in a year and a half, you'll still see people with masks on. Yeah, some um, of it's not going to go away for a long time. We need to get the sneeze board. Back up. Uh, ooh, that's a good point. Oh, Nick's face just went to sad town because he's going to be the leader today. I, I, how many are we at? Uh, at least 10. Wow. Yeah. Are you at least sneezing into your elbow? I am vampire sneeze. Are you sneezing into a tissue and then 
pitching the tissue into the Please recycling? don't kill Jacob before he makes us split pea soup. That's all I ask. All you care about is the soup. Yeah. That's all you care about. <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, the discussion of a wildfire <laughs> as well was something that I saw uh, last week where they're talking about if there's a wild. There have been fires in Texas and Florida Maybe we'll in do recent weeks. day soup later this week. Ooh. We could do an entire week of soup days. We could. Today is split pea day. Tomorrow <laughs> is... Uh, minestrone. Minestrone. Day, day minestrone. Italian wedding soup day. Ooh, get um, those meatballs. And the idea that you're going to have firefighters get to a fire in one fire truck is not a thing anymore. I mean, when fire season hits here and we see these big green uh, National Forest Service trucks with 10, 12, 15 guys in the back, you can't do that anymore. You, I mean... They're going to have to figure out ways just to get people to the wildfires, which is terrifying. Um, I wanted to throw this in there as well, because this is one of the things that's going to need to take place before we can get out from under this whole thing. And that is large scale antibody testing with a population of about 10 million people. L.A. County is one of those areas that is a prime location, they're saying, for a large scale, uh, large scale study. To answer the question, learn about the antibodies that could potentially provide immunity from COVID-19. And it would go to at least some explanation of how long COVID-19 has been in California. The first set of tests on 900 people were conducted Friday and Saturday at six different drive through locations. And they'll continue every two weeks for the foreseeable future. And this is not to, this is not to check people who think they might have it. They have they're trying to check everyone to see who did have it, who's been on the other side of all of this, because that gives them an idea where we stand in terms of how much of the herd, to put it bluntly, how much of the herd has had this thing and how many people would uh, potentially be immune to it. Now, crime rates have been relatively lower, but it looks like this past week, the California chief justice had issued a zero bail order. So basically, cops cannot arrest and hold people who have committed a litany of crimes. Terrifying stuff. We'll talk to a district attorney when we come back all about it. Gary and Shannon will continue. Took the subway to go dominate on the basketball court for Regis. America's point guard right there. We were just talking about crime numbers. L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva says crime is down significantly. Violent crime down more than 9%. Property crimes are down more than 15%. Calls for service down 12%. But uh, that may all be changing. Yeah, I don't... I, I mean, is it just because people are afraid of catching this? Or people deciding that... Maybe they should listen to Dr. Barbara Ferrer about staying indoors. Did well, you hear Alex Villanueva on, on Friday, though? He thanked everybody. Uh, the crime numbers are down, so thank you. Thank you, bad guys. For are you not- serious right yes. now? Uh-huh. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Thank you for your What service. a buffoon. Uh, well, last Monday, the California Chief Justice decided to put in place an emergency order, which means we could be all screwed. Uh, this order really handcuffs police officers, when it comes to the ability to arrest and hold people who have committed a litany of crimes, including child abuse and endangerment. Dan Dow is the district attorney in uh, San Luis Obispo County, and he joins us now. Dan, are you at work today? 
I am. Uh, there's about 20% of my office that are still here. Um, some are still going into court. Uh, we've got people telecommuting and some people doing some disaster service work, but uh, still working. Absolutely. Are All you right. still wearing a suit? I am. In fact, I just did a TV interview over Zoom uh, here in my office. <laughs> All right. Explain this ruling from the uh, from the state's chief justice. So um, because of this emergency, the chief justice took the recommendation of the California Judicial Council to create an emergency bail schedule that takes effect today at 5 p.m. Um, and they did that because they wanted to remove people from jails across the state. Um, and reduce the populations. Um, and there's some problems with that. One, anytime you apply a rule to 58 different counties that have different situations going on there, sometimes you've, uh, you're fixing a problem that doesn't exist. Like here in San Luis Obispo County, we don't even have one inmate that's tested positive. Our sheriff's done a great job of isolating new inmates before they come in, before they hit the general population to make sure that they're healthy and well. And so um, this rule says that if you're arrested or if you're currently in custody, for a for an offense that is not listed in the penal code as violent or serious or a few others then you are eligible for zero bail and you should be released Um, the problem with that is we've identified in our county um, people on parole for cases that would fit in that category but they have prior prior convictions for violent and serious offenses and so the idea that we're only letting out nonviolent people is just not true a lot of people with very dangerous criminal histories, they just happen to be in on a, an offense right now that would el- would be eligible for zero bail um, and will be put out into our community. Um, you mentioned child abuse and child endangerment, elder abuse. Think about, you know, for a minute, the children out there that have been abused and then the abuser gets to be released on zero bail, um, what it does for their safety, for their um, psychological well-being, Um, or an elder in our community that's been taking advantage of either financially or physical abuse. Um, Those are other very vulnerable victims, particularly at this time. And to let out their um, abusers pretrial on zero bail without considering the victim's impact and the safety of the victim violates the California Constitution. Looking into the future, Dan, it just seems like from a liability standpoint, this is going to be a disaster. I mean, if that case can be proven that this emergency order led to the murder of a child by a child abuser or uh, really anybody that could fall victim to this long list of crimes, the state's got blood on its hands. We lose him? Yeah. You must have said something to him. Did uh, Did I say the wrong thing? I don't think so. It sounded like it was pretty much in line with what he was going to say. Yeah. Okay. Let me try it again. Hey, Dan, we lost you there for a second. That's okay. Uh, I didn't hear the question, but I, <laughs> I was I, just I saying, it, about... I think that from a liability standpoint, looking into the future, this seems like it's going to be a disaster when you look at uh, the number of deaths or, or uh, victims that will result from this emergency order. It just seems like the state will have blood on its hands. Well, absolutely. And that's why in, in my county, um, worked very hard with the sheriff to identify the ones that we think are technically eligible. And today we've filed numerous uh, petitions and uh, oppositions to zero bail. Uh, My attorneys, uh, my managing attorneys and myself will be in court this afternoon, arguing some of them tomorrow morning at 830, some others, um, and really um, hitting the point that, look, the California Constitution says that the victim safety and the public safety shall be the primary consideration. The Constitution requires it any time bail is set. And if the court decides to let them out on zero bail or, or um, on their own recognizance, they're required 
by the Constitution to state on the record their reasons. And so we're asking those judges to do that today, to put on the record the reasons that they believe that uh, it's the right thing to put them out on zero bail. And we want our community to know that we're doing everything we can to uh, prevent people that could be dangerous and causing more victimization uh, from getting out early. And I know that my colleagues all across the state are doing very similar things today. Would this zero bail uh, have any impact on the stay-at-home orders and the enforcement of the stay-at-home orders? Well, sure. I mean, interestingly, uh, the only offenses right now that can be charged for someone that does violate it, say you've got someone out there that is sick with COVID-19 and they're refusing to uh, to stay home, they're refusing to stay in a, in a shelter um, or in a hospital and they leave, they can be arrested for a misdemeanor. That misdemeanor is not exempt from the zero bail. So they could essentially go out and, and be do, the, do it again and be rearrested and be given zero bail again, and they're out in the community infecting people. But think of it this way, not only the people for that order, but the crimes of theft, the real bad uh, nuisance crimes, auto theft, um, embezzlement, fraud, child abuse, um, any of these cases that are zero bail eligible, because they're lit right out and they're not being held until their next case, they can go on with impunity, reoffending each and every day, and they're just given another ticket and told, come back to court four months from now. I mean, a lot Whether of this is kind of the, or a, misdemeanor. a lot of this is kind of what we've been dealing with, with Prop 47, 57 and AB 109. But this obviously makes the problem uh, much worse. Is there a concern, Dan? Is, I'm sorry, Dan. Uh, is there a concern also that um, you can't you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube after this? I mean, that even if uh, we do see some semblance of normalcy over the next few months, that this zero bail uh, continues to be a thing? Well, it's possible. You know, there's going to be on the ballot in November an initiative to overturn Senate Bill 10. And uh, this very well may uh, backfire on the people that wanted Senate Bill 10 to work, because at a time when the community is vulnerable and they're hearing about people being released without bail, um, they are really angry about it. Uh, our office put out a press release on Friday night and over the weekend, even on an Easter weekend, it got a lot of traction. People are definitely upset about it. And I'm, um, I don't think that the zero bail is, is good policy as well for California or the no bail of Senate Bill 10. Um, and so we'll just have to wait and see. This might be something that causes the voters to look at it saying, no, we don't want Senate Bill 10. We're going to vote against it. Um, when it comes to vote in November. Hey, Dan, just last week, Gary's daughter uh, made the decision that she's going to go to Cal Poly for college in the fall. And so uh, can we give her your contact information just so uh, she has a, a local contact? She, should she get into any uh, trouble up there? Uh, absolutely. But, you know, more, you know, we, we are very proud of our relationship with Cal Poly. We have a lot of great students that come through our office as interns. They work in our victim witness office or in our legal clerical um, support. Some have gone on to become attorneys and some have even returned to the office uh, later to, for a full-time job. So if she has any interest in criminal justice, have her reach out to our office. Great. Cal Poly is a great school. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, we will be talking with the Dodgers. Why not? Absolutely. It's baseball season. Woo-hoo. Is it baseball season? No, I'm sorry. It's always good to have Is it baseball a, season. It's always good to have somebody's number in law enforcement, wherever you are. Wait, is it baseball season? No, you're like a little puppy that wants to go on a WALK. What? What? <laughs> what? Where's my leash? Gary and Shannon will continue.
too far from grace, yeah. I was numb before, but now I feel. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. That was nice of your wife not to cancel Easter. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. What do you mean? Sending candy and cookies. Easter cookies and Easter candy and nice pastels. We hid Easter eggs yesterday. Uh, Way too many. Yeah. And then uh, we had some friends come over. We stood in the driveway while the kids ran around the outside of the house and found the eggs. A bunch of people did Instagram live videos of Easter egg hunts. I found those kind of enjoyable. Um, But it's not baseball season. It's not, but it will be again. I looked for baseball scores today and I couldn't find any. It will be again. The Dodgers and the Dodgers Foundation are raising money that's going to help to provide critical donations to support the COVID-19 relief efforts. Hey, we know somebody who uh, actually is now officially the uh, the chief executive officer of the L.A. Dodgers Foundation, Nicole Whiteman. And she joins us now on the on the radio. That is. Hey, Hi, Nicole. Hi, Gary. Hi, Shannon. How are you guys? Doing good. So what's going on over there? Yeah, you know what? Last week, we actually uh, kicked off some efforts, as you stated, to bring together some uh, dollars from our players and our fans and our club overall um, in an effort to really support, you know, what's going on. You guys know that this pandemic has hit uh, some of our communities here in Los Angeles pretty hard. Um, You know, the homeless are suffering even more. Uh, food insecurity has been been so big as Los Angeles has sort of been the center for extreme food bank giveaways um, and also um, the frontline workers, you know, healthcare workers and those who are considered essential, who are leaving their families every single day to be out there. It's pretty dire. And we felt like we needed to get together and do something. And we're happy that you guys have partnered with us to kick this off. Why do people need to help out? I mean, you kind of went through some of the ideas there, but, I mean, this is an important time, and how can the Dodgers help out? Yeah, you know what? At the end of the day, we can't sit still. This is what we're built for. At the end of the day, when you think about the Dodgers Foundation and everything that our club has done historically to support local communities, this is our chance to stand up even bigger, um, to be able to support communities during this time, to give people a voice to help folks who are obviously suffering from a lot of extreme anxiety at home. Um, Really important for us because of the fans and everybody that supports the team and the way they support us. This is our responsibility. Looks like the numbers are pretty incredible, Nicole. Within one week, it looks like you were able to put together 105,000 meals because of monetary donations, uh, 20,000 bottles of water, 3,000 towels to homeless shelters. What are ways that people can help give? Yeah, so we have three ways that people can help give. One, we're asking folks to text uh, the word RELIEF to 41623 or visit dodgers.com forward slash RELIEF to donate any amount. It can be $5, it can be $1,000, whatever your heart desires. And then lastly, we actually launched an auction last week at dodgers.com forward slash RELIEF um, where we've got player memorabilia, so jerseys and baseball from Dodger players that um, we actually have up for for auction, for bid. We're asking folks to go on there through the 19th, bid on an item. 100% of the proceeds are going to go towards relief efforts. We've been able to uh, send monetary checks to the L.A. Food Bank, 
to uh, my friend's place, as well as um, be able to support the LAUSD grab and goes. Uh, we were at the Dream Center on Friday, 4,000 Dodger Dog giveaway. Uh, we want to continue to do this, and so we want to make sure that, you know, folks are still contributing. Uh, two of our very own players, Clayton Kershaw and Will Smith, have contributed to these relief efforts. Um, we partnered with Justin Turner on Friday at the Dream Center, and we hope to do a whole lot more. Yeah, that, it's, it's great to see those guys. I mean, clearly they got, you know, their schedules are kind of wide open right now, but the fact that they got team members that are out there and willing to help out. Yeah, there's so many ways people can help at this moment. Obviously, monetary donations are key. And then the virtual pieces, right? So sending messages, um, you know, folks have probably visited our social media pages and seen that we've been putting out a lot of content, you know, from players, but also, you know, really making sure that people and families and kids at home have access to resources like reading material and things of that nature during this time. Nicole Whiteman, thank you so much. CEO of L.A. Dodgers Foundation. Appreciate all that you are doing. Thank you guys so much for your support. Stay safe and healthy. You bet. Again, donate any dollar amount today by texting RELIEF to 41623. 41623. All the details, of course, are on the website. Go to KFIAM640.com and use that keyword RELIEF. You see the jackasses up uh, in Santa Cruz at the 7-Eleven? Oh, yeah. Why are you traveling from Fremont to Santa Cruz to go to a 7-Eleven? You're going to get in trouble. Is that 7-Eleven that special? <laughs> I remember in Chico there was one 7-Eleven on, uh, what was that street? They had the best chili hot dogs. I am not going to allow you to finish that. And if you had one you from ate, the other 7-Eleven, not nearly as good. You ate a chili dog oh, from a 7-Eleven? Oh, yeah. 7-11? My brother and I used to get those at like 2 oh. in the morning. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue so in just a good. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Reminder that you can uh, help the Dodgers and the Dodgers Foundation raise funds to uh, help provide critical donations to support COVID-19 relief efforts in Los Angeles. And the way you do that is by texting the word RELIEF to 41623 or go onto our website, KFIAM640.com, and use the keyword RELIEF. Well, did you see that? Bernie Sanders has endorsed Joe Biden. Uh, no, I'm laughing because on uh, Saturday Night Live, they did a Saturday Night Live at home where everybody put together skits basically with their phones at home. And then, uh, oh, Nick, five. (laughs) Nick just came in here to put the sneeze board up and he looks so sad. He looks like Charlie Brown when he. I'll post it to our around. story here. Uh, but Saturday Night Live did this thing, and Larry David uh, did his Bernie Sanders impression and discussed whether or not Bernie Sanders would endorse Joe Biden. And he was saying, uh, you know, it's not going to be a full-throated, I love this guy, or is it more of a, yeah, you know. And I think that's what it was, was the, yeah, Joe's an okay guy. The bigger question that I saw over the weekend with Joe Biden was, Who's going to be his running mate? Who's he going to choose as his running mate? Kamala Harris? No. No? Nope. I'll bet you money. Absolutely not. I would. I will take that bet. Okay. Ten bucks. You got ten bucks? I don't know. I don't even know I, if I have cash anymore. Do you know what cash is? No, I don't remember what that is. Uh, I have a 20. Okay. 
and one, two, three, four dollars. I have twenty-four dollars. Do you want to pick the running mate, or just this is just a Kamala Harris? Yes it's or no? It's not Kamala Harris. Okay. It's either it's her or the field, and I'm taking the field on that because I think that someone like Amy Klobuchar is a better fit for Joe Biden. Mm, so uh, white that ticket's so white. We, he's not going to have a choice. It's either Amy Klobuchar or Andrew Cuomo. That a a Biden Cuomo ticket. That'd be or pretty, even a Cuomo Biden ticket. That would be that would be pretty good. After that, Cuomo's hard to uh, beat. bump that he's gotten, his Corona bump. Unfortunately, it happened. Um, speaking of uh, Governor Cuomo, he along with northeastern governors of New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Delaware announced a regional effort to reopen the economy in that part of the United States. Look, when it, whenever it gets to that, another meteorologist that's quarantined without food. <laughs> That's not. She looks very she nice. She looks Why great. You... I'm jealous. She looks amazing. She looks like she did not have 72 meals over the weekend. Hashtag radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cuomo announced that the states will begin to coordinate efforts to reopen society. And as far as the time frame, he said for that part of the country, it's going to be weeks. He says we should start looking forward to reopening. But reopening with a plan and a smart plan, because if you do it wrong, it can backfire. And he says the art forum is going to be uh, is going to be here doing that smartly, doing that productively and doing that in a coordinated way. If California, for example, I, the Western United States are in a very different place than we saw that than what's going on back east, specifically New York and New Jersey, because places like Arizona and Nevada and Utah and Idaho, I mean, Basically, the Rockies West, we've been doing very, very well uh, in terms of our ability to keep coronavirus out of the hospitals. Do you hear about the masks scam? The FBI says that the promise of 39 million masks for West Coast healthcare workers was an elaborate scam. That the masks were promised to the SEIU that represents the workers. And FBI investigators stumbled onto that scheme while looking into whether they could intercept the masks for FEMA under the Defense Production Act. Uh, <laughs> they figured out that they don't exist. Who's doing that? People are promising masks, asking for the money and then not delivering. Is that how it works? Uh, yeah. A businessman like in it. Pittsburgh had been using WhatsApp to connect with a broker in Australia, uh, Australia and a supplier in Kuwait who are now both under a federal investigation. The um, the price for simple things like masks has gone up by 10 to 20 times the normal price. Normally an N95 mask would uh, cost somewhere around 40 or 50 cents. But as of right now, going rates between 5 and $7 per mask instead of 40 or 50 cents. Look at this fried chicken sandwich. Where'd you get that? <laughs> Why did you do that? Doesn't that look incredible? <laughs> Them's good pickles, too. Yeah, those pickles are um, good. Agents from the State Department of Justice also confiscated large stockpiles of medical masks and supplies. <clears throat> they were kept in warehouses in Alameda County. They said about 50,000 of them were reported confiscated from just one of three warehouses. They, sur- they seized several N95 respirators, surgical masks, and other items. Uh, just there in in that Alameda County warehouse or those warehouses, I should say. So, <clears throat> so explain to me why do you feel like you're uh, putting on weight? 
you said you felt like well, here's 72 the thing. meals. I don't know. I mean, I know I am. But you know I don't you know. am what? I know I'm putting on weight. I just don't know how You're much. Not. I'm not going to get on the scale, though, until 2023. You've I'm not getting about, near that thing. You've talked about how you're you're doing two-a-day exercise regimen. That lasted that. for two days. Oh. Um, I did I did work out yesterday. Okay. Um, but not nearly. That's not how it works either, by the way. It works about what you put in your mouth. It's, it's not like you can, you know, eat fried chicken sandwiches all day and then get on the treadmill for an hour and those go away. It's 85% what you put in your mouth. The working out is just to keep your, your sanity, I think. Just keep your body. Keep your mind chemicals strong. Chemicals working right. Yeah, and all that. Good to get the cardio up. Good to get the heart pumping. Break a sweat. But that's not going to take away all those fried chicken sandwiches. So should I not make this soup? No, make the soup. <laughs> make the soup. Absolutely. Okay. I'll sacrifice. Don't get between my- a woman and her soup. <laughs> I'm excited about that soup. I'll put less ham in it. No. no. Why? Don't do that. Don't no, listen I'm not to asking. Her. Yeah, don't listen not, to me. We're not making our diet based on what she says. Uh, all right. Uh, we uh, have the governor's news conference coming up. We'll dip in and uh, check out and see what he says, if there's going to be anything interesting and good going uh, coming out of Sacramento. Not usual. We have our small business shout out this day. It's going to be Noble Bird Rotisserie. We'll talk to them coming up later this hour and the, or later next hour. And then L.A. County's update in the one o'clock hour. All still to How come. How many uh, pieces of French toast did you put down yesterday? It's hard to judge. It's hard to gauge uh, because I, you know, the, the way I made it. I didn't mean to ask you for your number. That's a very personal the thing. The piece of bread is like that big. So I had to cut them in half. Yeah. And then so. But my I'll say this. This is the round sourdough loaf, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I'll say this. My wife. What she also had a piece or two of French toast. She stopped eating to look at the pile and the amount of syrup I had on mine. Yeah. And I said, he is risen. I let my husband eat his French toast in the other room. Why? So he didn't get self-conscious that I was staring. <laughs> you guys and your syrup. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, well, it was either that or a, a four four cups of brown sugar. <laughs> all right. We'll talk trending coming up next on KFI. ago, Kobe Bryant scored 60 points in his final game. They were showing some highlights uh, over the weekend on ESPN, but they looked really bad quality. Yeah, I know. Looked like they were old YouTube videos or something. Shaq had challenged Kobe to 50 points. He puts up 60. (laughs) Uh, Hey, at the bottom of this hour, uh, or just before the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking with Noble Bird Rotisserie. Um, the restaurant, and they've got now contactless curbside takeout service. We'll talk with them about how it is they're keeping their doors open. Uh, I was I had went to a restaurant on Saturday night, uh, Stonefire Grill, with Stonefire, and they made it so easy. Rolled right, you know, ordered online, rolled right into the parking lot. All they did was they recognized my car because it was, you know, you t- type in what color and make and model of your car. 
And they said, are you Gary Hoffman? I said, yes. And they said, we'll be right back. And they went and got the food and brought it. But boom, done. In and out, nobody gets hurt. I ordered ramen on uh, on Saturday night, and it was delicious. I think you going to say it was bad. No, it was <laughs> great. Nice spice in it. Nice egg. Um, it's You can't do it every night, though. No. No, I mean, I mean just, you can. Yeah. But... but there's leftovers, and there's just so much... It's all waiting for you when you get home today. Yes, it is. Thankfully. Well. I am lucky. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, people are getting their stimulus checks, so that is good. Starting to talk to about it on social media. It looks like the IRS tweeted that the checks started going out via direct deposit on Saturday. Again, the paper checks will take up to months to get to people, which, as we pointed out, is unfortunate because people who are uh, not signed up for direct deposit are probably the people that need it the most. Yeah, that's not good. I guess the IRS also has a tool up on their website where you can track your stimulus payment to see where it is, when you're expected to get it, when it's going to be in your bank account. Uh, The fire Fauci fiasco from yesterday uh, continues to trend today as well. The president Uh, The White House specifically says the president will not be firing Anthony Fauci, despite everybody losing their minds over what happened yesterday. Now, Anthony Fauci was on uh, State of the Union on CNN and was asked about, hey, if we had imposed some of the uh, travel restrictions, imposed social distancing and stay at home orders earlier, would we have saved lives? And Anthony Fauci said, well, duh, yeah, you could look back and say we could have done a bunch of different things that would have saved lives. And everybody took it to mean that the, that Anthony Fauci was somehow undermining the president by saying that. And that's not what happened. Um, now, the president went on and retweeted somebody's call to fire Fauci, and they used the hashtag fire Fauci. Uh, Hogan Gidley, one of the spokespeople for the White House, said the president's tweet clearly exposed media attempts to maliciously push a falsehood about his China decision in an attempt to rewrite history. Well, you get a little verbose there. It's just that he retweeted something that called for the firing of Anthony Fauci. That was just dumb on his part. That led to people then speculating about whether or not he was going to fire him. Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, both in the headlines today. They made a joint online appearance today where Bernie Sanders endorsed Biden, asking all Americans to come together to support Biden's candidacy. Uh, Biden and Sanders fought through the, throughout the primary over a lot of issues like Medicare for all. But now it looks like they have come together. This endorsement really sets aside what happened in 2016 when Bernie Sanders failed to endorse Hillary Clinton. The the announcement included uh, a suggestion that Biden was going to count on Bernie to advise him on the economy and education. Do you think that's a conversation they have ever? Or is that just a way to try to get Bernie Sanders supporters? That's exactly what it is. Because that doesn't seem like Joe Biden doesn't seem like the guy who's going to go to Bernie Sanders and ask him questions about stuff. Uh, I mean, mean, he might be open to input. He might be open to working together to put some of what what Bernie Sanders would want into his platforms. But, yeah, I think it's a it's a obvious ploy just to try to dupe people. 
Uh, Gavin Newsom is holding his daily update on our statewide situation when it comes to the COVID-19. We are monitoring it and we'll bring you anything uh, that's pertinent. It's just that on Friday we kind of suffered through him meeting the moment and the like too much. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) we didn't want to go with it completely today. Um, I will say this about what's been going on with uh, coronavirus, et cetera, and some of the headlines that we've been seeing about it. And they're frustrating because, remember, in the world, we're, we're up over 1,800,000 cases. There was uh, one story, for example, of a woman in South Carolina who got coronavirus after having been quarantined for three weeks. Out of 1,800,000 cases, you're going to get some weird ones. You're going to get some outliers and you're going to get some things that uh, do not make a lot of sense including the suggestion that a lot of people have been testing positive a second time after having beaten it and then gotten it again. Those numbers are in such those, those uh, instances are in such small numbers that it's hard to even suggest that that's a regular thing. So that's, what's frustrating to me about what's going on with this, uh, the coverage about coronavirus. So we may find out how dark these days are tonight. Uh, It is the premiere of the bachelor presents Listen to your heart. Uh, A month ago, I was like, there's no way I spend two seconds looking at that thing. Today, I'm like, (laughs) I'm into it. I'm getting excited about it. I'm like, I got something to do tonight at eight. Well, you know what else is on tonight is the the TMZ investigation for Tiger King. That was on on, last night, wasn't it? It's on Fox. There's a new Netflix episode out, though. Oh, really? Yes. the I didn't even, TMZ thing is tonight. Right. I didn't even finish the seventh episode of Tiger King. What? what? I know. How can you not finish it? Oh, by the way, we got informed Carol is not doing interviews. Carol Baskins. Shocking. What Carol about Kevin Costner? Kevin Baskins, not doing interviews. What about Kevin yeah. Costner? Uh, Nick just gave the palms up. I don't know. What, why would Kevin Costner be doing interviews? Because we ordered Because we Nick, want uh, to talk about baseball. Oh, this, okay. You know what? Okay. This may be why we don't have baseball. Because I... Because he, Kevin won't get back to me? Yeah. It's Mr. Costner to you. We know each other. Right. When we come back. It's just busy. Noble Bird Rotisserie. How it is that uh, you can get a just a fantastically cooked chicken curbside contactless takeout service. Why did we Noble post that picture of Steve from 2006? Uh, I'm not sure who's picking those. Who's picking that picture? Is that Rick Johnson? Steve's going to have a... Steve's going to freak out. We could go take a picture of Steve right now. He's just down there. He's yeah. Just sitting there. Let's do that. Let's use a different picture on our social stuff. Gary and Channel will continue just a moment. I didn't say no. I just, I don't want to be the one to wear it. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, we may even... Uh, may even get to Swamp Watch at the bottom of the hour, if you can believe that. Talk about some political stuff, including uh, what's going on with our stimulus checks coming out of Washington, D.C. Well, we have been trying to highlight small businesses to help keep them afloat in these times. And I'm loving this because I'm learning about so many places I didn't even know existed. And uh, and I'm excited about it. Today we're talking about Noble Bird Rotisserie. Down at 2nd and PCH in Long Beach, Sydney Price is the owner of Noble Bird Rotisserie. Sydney, what's going on? Good morning. How are you guys today? Doing good, thanks. Good. So how are you getting through this? 
Gosh, uh, one day at a time for sure. Um, and our little restaurant is uh, pivoting as quickly as possible with what seems like kind of daily changes and new mandates um, in hopes of continuing to serve our community and obviously keeping the safety of our guests and our teammates forefront. Now, you guys clearly, like you said, pivoted, uh, and you have contactless curbside takeout service. People can order uh, the grab-and-go meals for families. What about these uh, family meal kits that you have available also? Yeah, so we have this amazing special now. Uh, we dubbed it the What the Cluck Kit, um, and it comes in a couple of different options. But it's basically $40 feeds a family of four, um, and you can mix and match a whole chicken or a half rotisserie chicken. Um, all of our birds come from this incredible farmer local to Southern California, pasture bird farms. They're brined for 24 hours and then air dried. We have a house special flavor that, that is then marinated for another 12 hours in a base of Korean chili flakes. Mm. It has a really fun zip of flavor. Um, so you can mix and match the uh, flavor of chicken, a couple of sides, salad, um, and yeah, we developed a completely contactless system. A masked and gloved team member will deliver um, the food to a table that we have set up in front of our restaurant so that then our guests can uh, get out of their vehicles and pick it up without having to touch them um, or touch us, excuse me. We sanitize the table down. Um, we've got plexiglass up at the front entrance of our restaurant now in case we do have any walk-up guests. Um, so it's just been, you know, really daily changes to keep up with all of the things that we need to do to keep our teammates and our guests safe. Now, you are relatively new, right? You just opened up late last year? Yes, we opened up um, January 2nd. So we are three months young going into all of this. And um, I have never had a restaurant before. Um, so this is all brand new to me. But my husband and I started Noble Bird Rotisserie uh, because we have two young sons with severe life-threatening food allergies. And we found it incredibly challenging to find a safe dining establishment for them. So in a way, we were prepared for the level of sanitation and safety that was required to, I think, um, keep guests and teammates safe during this pandemic. Um, you know, everyday food allergy families live with anxiety about touching surfaces that may have undetectable amounts of a food allergen residue on them. Um, and much like the world is, you know, aware of those things in hopes of, you know, not spreading the coronavirus, we were, as a food allergy family, keenly aware of that um, going into opening the restaurant. So we're extremely fortunate that our restaurant was founded on incredible sanitation um, awareness and kitchen safety, safety practices. So we've had a bit of a leg up um, being aware of those things just because of our experience as a food allergy family. Sydney Price is owner of Noble Bird Rotisserie down in Long Beach. You also have the Noble Meals for Noble Heroes. Explain that. Yeah, this has been so amazing. The generosity of the community in Long Beach to feed uh, frontline families and first responders has been amazing. We started a GoFundMe campaign last week 
Um, and today we've raised just over a little, a uh, little over eight thousand dollars, and we are dropping off meals to hospitals in Long Beach, so Long Beach Memorial, St. Mary's, um, and we'll start dropping meals off at uh, the Veterans Hospital here in Long Beach this week. Um, and then today we were able to feed three of our fire stations, so it has just been incredibly rewarding and a way to give back to all of the first responders and frontline heroes that are so graciously and selflessly helping us during this pandemic. Well, Sydney, thank you so much for your time and joining us and making our mouths water. (laughs) Uh, Appreciate what you're doing for our uh, local heroes as well. I appreciate the time. Thanks, guys, for your support, and thanks for having me on today. You bet. Sydney Price, owner of Noble Bird Rotisserie. Uh, You can find him on Instagram, Facebook, you can find the website, noblebirdrotisserie.com, and you can nominate a local frontline family for the Noble Birds uh, on Instagram or Facebook, so you can check them out. We also have been keeping an entire list, by the way, of all of these restaurants and other food uh, places that we have been, uh, you know, craft breweries, that sort of thing. Everybody that we've talked to, we've kept a list. So you're looking for small businesses that you would like to get out and support and help out. Maybe it's not even in your area. Uh, You could get a gift card for someone. That helps out these restaurants a great deal. Uh, And just get an idea. You can go to KFIAM640.com and use the keyword Gary and Shannon. You see the whole list of all of these different places that we've been talking to these last couple of weeks. It looks like the IRS has started putting out those stimulus checks. We will go live to Washington when we come back to find out how it's all going to work. Gary and Shannon will continue. Swamp Watch, we haven't played that in a while. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCU Farmers and Distillers Dining Room and Patio are now open and accepting reservations. They're following all the government guidelines so you can choose to dine out safely or if you want to stay in, they've got you covered. You can order for curbside pickup or delivery online at FarmersAndDistillers.com. They're also still offering a robust one-stop shop founding farmers market and grocery for all your daily grocery needs. Offerings include fresh produce, a prepared foods market, full bakery, butcher and deli, house-churned ice cream, house-roasted coffee, wine, beer and more. Visit FoundingFarmersMarket.com to order. Same-day delivery available. Shannon, I KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I can't find that website. Oh. Are you mm. spelling it wrong? Yeah. Maybe spelled it wrong. Probably. Uh, a couple of big stories that we're following. New York's Governor Cuomo says that the death toll from the coronavirus has topped 10,000. Hospitals in New York still seeing 2,000 new patients a day. In fact, New York State tallied 671 new deaths on Sunday alone. That's almost as many deaths as we in California have altogether. 
Uh, Good Morning America anchor George Stephanopoulos announced today that he has tested positive for COVID-19. His wife has been out for about 16 days, I think. She'd been in quarantine for 16 days, so it's not a surprise that he also tested uh, positive. But he said he doesn't have any symptoms. Uh, And then a massive spike in alcohol sales that we have seen. Alcohol sales up 22% in the final week of March. Uh, And in terms of online sales, online sales of alcohol for the month of March increased by almost 300% over the year previous. I believe it. Well, let's get to Washington. Check up on our Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. All Americans have started receiving those first stimulus checks. Andrew Dimbert is in Washington, joins us now about how it all is going down. Andrew, how you doing? Good. Yeah, over the weekend, those stimulus checks started to come through in the form of direct deposit. Physical checks, of course, are going to take uh, longer. We're talking about those $1,200 checks for individuals making less than uh, $75,000 a year. But still, the, as these checks start to roll in, the question I'm getting the most is, how will I get my direct deposit if I haven't received it just yet? Well, if you filed your 2019 tax return and signed up to receive that return via direct deposit, then you don't have to do anything. The government has that information. The IRS has that information. The money will just appear in that same account. And if you didn't do your 2019 taxes, then the Treasury Department is going to use your 2018 return. Now, if you have any information that's changed, your physical address, or you want to get direct deposit, even though you don't normally get direct deposit with your um, tax return there. Well, the IRS is setting up a portal on its website, irs.gov, where you'll be able to enter that information, update your information. And they're also launching an app called the Get My Payment app. It's not up and running just yet, but should be here either this week or next week. And it should expedite the delivery of those funds. But the good news is the stimulus checks are starting to roll out. Is there a way that the IRS is um, ordering this? I mean, is there a specific... um Is there a way to know where you might fall in this line of who's going to get the money first? No, there's no way to know, uh, you know, where you where you stand. But the IRS and the Treasury Department has said it is prioritizing those with, I suppose, a lower income here, those who need it the most. But by and large, it's just going to roll out in phases here. It started over the weekend. It's going to continue into this week and then throughout the next couple of weeks. The really big question here, too, is when will those physical checks come through? We know they're going to take longer. Uh, They're supposed to be processed at least this week. But we've heard some estimates that physical checks may not arrive in your mailbox for four or five weeks. So once that portal on the IRS website opens up for direct deposit, my suggestion would be to get on there, enter your information so you can get that money fast. Do we know how this is going to work, the stimulus package for small businesses when they might be seeing relief? Small businesses uh, have already begun to see relief. Many have also applied. They have to go through an application process to receive some of the funds from that $2 trillion stimulus package. And by the way, we are expecting another round of financial aid when Congress resumes here next week. House and Senate Democrats say that they are calling for at least another $500 billion to boost, to boost local and state government, small businesses in particular, food stamps and hospitals. But the question moving forward is where will lawmakers actually agree here in this next round of stimulus? They pretty much agree that 
stimulus, there needs to be more stimulus, but where it falls is another question. President Trump, for example, has said that he wants it to focus on something like infrastructure. So once Congress resumes here, the Senate resumes next week, next Monday, then we'll have a better idea of when that next round is coming and where the focus will be. Awesome. So they haven't really given us an end date when they expect to have all these payments out? No, it's a, it's just, you know, the Treasury Department and the federal government says they're moving as quick as possible. But uh, there are different circumstances for different families, individuals, small businesses, uh, corporate corporate uh, corporations, for example, who are also looking for some of this, uh, quote unquote, bailout money. So there is no hard date or deadline, just that the funds are coming in and they're trying to come in fast. And as this process is playing out, again, lawmakers are looking for another round of financial aid. Andrew, appreciate your work. Thank you. You bet. Andrew Dimbert there in Washington with the latest on these uh, stimulus checks. Well, the White House is denying that the president is considering firing Dr. Fauci after the president retweeted a message last night that include the hashtag fire Fauci. The White House spokesperson saying the media chatter is ridiculous. President Trump is not firing Dr. Fauci. He has been and remains a trusted advisor to the president. I will say this. They've said that before. (laughs) This is true. About people who have been fired eventually. But I don't think this is the case. I don't think that Fauci's going anywhere. No. The, it all started from a conversation that Anthony Fauci had on CNN yesterday. And I want to play for you. In fact, I'll play the whole thing that's about a minute and a half, the whole answer uh, that Anthony Fauci was talking to Jake Tapper about would we have saved lives had we put people on lockdown earlier than when we did? Uh, and. And his answer is pretty telling. I mean, it's clear. Yeah, you could, you know, you could argue we should have stopped travel from China in uh, at about Thanksgiving. And that may have stopped anybody in the United States from getting it. To just say this is all happening because we got started too late. Obviously, if you look, could you have done something a little bit earlier? It would have had an impact, obviously. But where we are right now is the result of a number of factors. The size of the country, the heterogeneity of the country. It's, I think it's a little bit unfair to compare us to South Korea, where they had an outbreak in Daegu and they had the capability of immediately, essentially, shutting it off completely in a way that we may not have been able to do in this country. So obviously, I would have been nice if we had a better head start, but I don't think you could say that we are where we are right now because of one factor. It's very complicated, Jake. The New York Times reported yesterday that, that you and other top officials wanted to recommend social and physical distancing guidelines to President Trump as far back as the third week of February. Uh, but the uh, administration didn't announce such guidelines to the American public until March 16th, almost a month later. Why? You know, Jake, as I've said many times, we look at it from a pure health standpoint. We make a recommendation. Often the recommendation is taken. Sometimes it's not. But we, it is what it is. We are where we are right now. Do you think lives could have been saved uh, if social distancing, physical distancing, stay-at-home measures had started third week of February instead of mid-March? You know, Jake, again, it's the what would have, what could have. It, it, it's very difficult to, to go back and say that. I mean, obviously, you could logically say that if you had a process that was ongoing and you started mitigation earlier, you could have saved lives. Obviously, no one is going to deny that. But what goes into those kinds of decisions is is complicated. But you're right. I mean, obviously, if we had 
right from the very beginning, shut everything down, it may have been a little bit different, but there was a lot of pushback about shutting things down back then. And don't forget, this argument about the go- the, the president was the one who shut it down or didn't shut it down. The governors and mayors and the county councils, they're the ones who are putting these shelter-in-place orders in place. Even the, I mean, the president tweeted something else today about, you know, he's the one who gets to decide when all this is done. He's not. He's not the one who gets to decide when these shelter-in-place orders are over. He can set the tone. He can make a suggestion. But he's not the guy who gets to do that. It looks like there are some clusters of states now that say they will work together to decide how to reopen everything up. We'll tell you about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Yeah, people are losing their minds. Freaking uh, twerking on glass coffee tables, shattering them. One of my friends just posted a video of some, some people setting themselves on fire at home setting their feet on fire (laughs) guys 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 pick Uh, up a book gary and shannon kfi am 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app on day bongo of our quarantine shelter in place orders uh there is non-quarantine news going on non-coronavirus news there was uh tornadoes that hit the deep south overnight they said at least 22 people killed in Mississippi, Georgia, Arkansas, and South Carolina, dozens of others had to be pulled from damaged buildings and taken to hospitals. A bunch of those states are still under flash flood, tornado, thunderstorm warnings and watches tonight. Uh, about a million and a half people were without electricity at one point earlier today. Wow. In the middle of uh, Swamp Watch and talk about what's going on in D.C., and one thing I wanted to point out was that the Supreme Court, I mean, this coronavirus thing is, is like nothing we've seen before. Uh, in it probably in in history in terms of the worldwide impact of this in such a short time and the way it's being handled with the shelter in place orders all around the world well the supreme court is adapting to this by taking the step of holding arguments via telephone among the cases that have been chosen for this telephone conference argument, uh, fights over the subpoenas to look at the president's tax records, the uh, administration policy to grant religious exemptions to Obamacare, and then the state's authority to punish presidential electors who vote contrary to state law. They're going to be hearing all of these virtual arguments in a case where political consultants have been leveling a First Amendment challenge at a federal law to crack down on robocalls. They issued the statement today that said the cases chosen for these arguments will be heard on six days between May 4th and the 13th. Um, Journalists will have access to a live feed, but it's not clear if we would even get a chance to broadcast the audio live. I don't remember if it was live when we heard the Supreme Court and their deliberate uh, deliberations or they're they're listening to arguments over Bush v. Gore. I think those were on tape, if I'm not mistaken. It was clearly no cameras. It was just the audio. But I'm pretty sure that those were on tape. So they will journalists will be allowed to listen in. We're not sure if they'd be allowed to be broadcast live. I don't think they would be. The governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, had a conference call this morning with the governors from five other states nearby, and they've decided to kind of decide together on how to reopen everything up. And then just now our governor, Gavin Newsom, announced that he is going to be working with leaders from Washington State and Oregon to discuss opening up the whole West Coast 
uh, following the pandemic. He said he'll release California's thinking on how and when the state will open back up after the stay-at-home order is lifted, that his decision-making process will be driven by facts, evidence, science, and the advice of public health advisors. Yeah, the statement that the governor's office put out today, I think uh, tomorrow is when they're going to have some more details on all of this, but the statement that they put out said health, health outcomes and science, not politics, will guide these decisions. The thing that you're going to have to figure into all of this, yes, I understand that you know, health outcomes and science are going to be at the forefront for all of this. You're going to have to start figuring out and, and factoring in people's attitudes towards this. There is going to be a point where people can't take it anymore. And they're going to start fighting back and going out and doing things like, brace yourself, not wearing face coverings when they're out and about. And I think that that's going to have to be something that they take into account. Because if if we only, listen, California was expected to have thousands of people die from coronavirus. We're ha- we have had less, fewer, I should say, we've had fewer people die in the state of California than New York State is losing every day. I think that that is for a variety of reasons. I do believe there's a lot of truth to the research that they're doing up at Stanford right now on when this thing hit California. And if we did develop some sort of herd immunity back last fall, because we get, what, 8,000 visitors a day from China to LAX and SFO and places like that, um, I think it's because of that. And I think it's also because of the fact that we're not on top of each other like they are in New York. New York, by the way, it's bad. The numbers are terrible. The death toll is top 10,000. Hospitals still seeing 2,000 new patients a day. It looks like the good news, and this is, it's sad to say that it's good news. It's, it's terrible news that they had 671 new deaths yesterday, but it was the first time in a week the daily toll dipped below 700. So hopefully we'll see that continue to go down and down and down. And that's the way the trend will continue. Yeah. And some of the numbers that uh, Governor Cuomo announced this morning from New York were positive in that we've been seeing uh, fewer hospital admissions, fewer ICU admissions, uh, fewer people who need ventilators. And all of those being the good news, you will continue to see. We believe you'll continue to see those uh, the numbers of new patients and the number of deaths going down every day. Hey, uh, we wanted to give you the opportunity to thank people for the work that they're doing while everybody's been staying at home, safer at home, sheltered home, whatever you want to call it. So if you've ever had one of those interactions with a first responder, or maybe you did have to go to the hospital, uh, a grocer, a plumber, delivery person, trucker, or maybe you know somebody who works in those those, uh, different arenas, a neighbor, Somebody did something nice for you. We want to hear about it. And you can leave a message in our uh, uh, special audio video comment section that's powered by Yappa on the the website. The more specific your comments are, the better. We'll take as many as we can. We'll play the audio on KFI. Post the videos on our social media. So log on to KFIAM640.com. Keyword thanks. Sign up and leave those comments. KFIAM640.com. And the keyword is, again, thanks. All right. uh, When we come back, we're going to dip into Los Angeles County, the update that we get from that. uh, When Dr. Barbara Ferrer starts speaking, we get some some numbers from her about how things are going and maybe some discussion. I think each of the news conferences that we've been seeing today have started toying with the idea of what does it look like when we start making decisions about how to reopen different parts of the economy. So 
We'll dip into that when it comes up in just a few minutes. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You just feel terrible for the people who had to deal with those storms overnight. Killed at least 30 people in the southeast. Severe weather outbreak began yesterday. in The deep south floods, mudslides, more than a million power outages. Officials say 11 died in Mississippi, 6 in Georgia. There were deaths reported in Arkansas, the Carolinas. I mean, it's nice to want some non-coronavirus news, but that's definitely not the kind you want. No. Um, Los Angeles County officials are giving their update on COVID-19. When uh, Dr. Ferrer takes the podium, we will dip into that. But did you see that L.A. Unified doesn't give an F? L.A. Unified will not give an F all year long. Uh, No student will receive a failing grade on their spring report card through L.A. Unified. Um, The announcement came from Austin Butner today. The L.A. school superintendent said that uh, campuses will be closed not only for the remainder of the academic year, but throughout the summer as well. And that is there's still no clear picture in testing, according to Butner, treatments or vaccines. We will not reopen school facilities until state authorities tell us it is safe and appropriate to do so. Uh, The remainder of the school year will be completed in the current remote fashion and we'll have a summer session in a similar manner manner as well. So that that's a terrifying prospect if, uh, for example, my daughter's senior year is, is washed out. I mean, it's just done. She's still got to go to school. Today, I think, was the first technically the day back from spring break and will complete her senior year on the computer. No prom, no graduation, et cetera. We went through that a couple or last week. But the idea that her freshman year at college would also be threatened by this. Oh, yeah. That's that's weird. Uh, and I, I don't think so. I mean, I have a just based on the numbers that we've been seeing and the way that uh, people have changed behavior on a dime. I mean, people stopped doing the things that were uh, propagating this illness. They We've stopped doing those things and we've made a massive difference in terms of how coronavirus has been transmitted. I have to believe that things like August and September are okay, right? I, mean, uh, I, want, right? I want to believe that too. But like I said, I mean, when you're looking at the projections for find a, finding a vaccine that would be widely available for us, we're looking at 12 to 18 months. And just on Friday, there were a number of articles where scientists were saying that there's going to have to be some form of stay-at-home orders or social distancing, I guess I should say, until we we have that vaccine. But I want this to be the discussion. I agree with you that there will be some amount of this that has to go on because of the vulnerable populations that are out there. I want this to be the discussion. How do we protect the most vulnerable people with underlying health conditions over the age of 65, all of those things, right? We know them. We know the list. How do we protect those people? And how do we get everybody else back to work or back to school or, I mean, whatever? And and I think that that's got to be the discussion. I think that it's you and I and our attitude about this whole thing is indicative of how fed up I think we're getting because you and I 
have no are no longer coming down with the symptoms. Remember in the right. beginning, yes. by like one fifty two, we were like, we both have it. We're scared and you just go right home and everything. And now we're just kind of like, eh, you know, and, and and people have to be careful with that kind of attitude, too, especially if there's a second wave of this thing. And if you thought that this was an overreaction the first time around. Yes, but I think it, not in, that we think it's an overreaction. It's just we're we're getting fed up with it. Right. But remember, the models that we've talked about and the projections that, that people have used and the statisticians have been looking at and developing the you know, the worst case scenarios were all held, you know, there would be an NBA season, right? We'd be yeah. a month into ba- to baseball right now if if nothing had been done. And we would have seen the hospitals completely overwhelmed and we wouldn't have zero ventilators and people would be dying in the streets, whatever. We didn't do that. We did the absolute best. We saw yesterday. Uh, sorry, we saw Friday. Dr. Mark Galley, uh, the secretary of uh, health for California, talk about how we're trending even on the bottom of those projections for California. We've done a great job. And here at the podium now, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, the L.A. County Public Health Good Department. Afternoon. Thank you so much, Supervisor Solis and, and Supervisor Barger. I know that uh, we feel all of us really grateful to have uh, your extraordinary leadership during these very difficult times. And I also want to thank uh, everyone in our communities, uh, particularly uh, those who uh, really made some changes to their faith traditions so that they could stay apart uh, while they celebrated. I, I know uh, this was a tough weekend uh, for so many, but I'm so grateful uh, that people are doing their part um, and really uh, honoring the directives in the health officer order. Um, I'm sad to report that there are an additional 25 deaths today. 11 people who passed away were over the age of 65, and they all had underlying health conditions. Uh, 12 people who passed away were between the ages of 41 and 65, and 11 of uh, the people who were between the ages of 41 and 65 also had underlying health conditions. I don't have this information for the two cases that are being reported by the city of Long Beach. This does bring the total number of deaths to 320 in L.A. County, and our mortality rate for COVID-19 has jumped to 3.4%. For the deaths where race and ethnicity has been identified, 14% of the people who died were African American, 18% were Asian, 33% were Latinx, 33% are white, and 2% identified as another with another race or ethnicity. And I know that so many of you are experiencing the profound loss and you're mourning family members and friends uh, who died uh, with complications associated with COVID-19. You're in our thoughts and our prayers every day, and we wish you healing and peace. Today, we're also reporting 239 cases And although new cases historically on Monday can be lower because of the limited testing over the weekends, I want to note that today's number of new cases is the lowest number of cases we've, new cases we've reported since March 26th. And that's a good thing. Uh, There are a total of 9,420 cases in LA County. Uh, These cases include 337 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach 
and 117 cases reporting, reported by the city of Pasadena, both which have independent city health departments. We're confirming today 23 cases amongst people experiencing homelessness. Uh, this is a slight increase uh, from Friday. Uh, the majority of all of the cases of people experiencing homelessness who are positive for COVID-19 continue to happen amongst people who are unsheltered. The four uh, people uh, who are experiencing homelessness who were sheltered are all appropriately now isolated and their close contacts are quarantined. Uh, 2,354 people have been hospitalized at some point while positive for COVID-19, and this remains about 25% of all of our positive cases. There are currently 1,059 people positive for COVID-19 that are hospitalized, and 18% of these people are in the ICU, and 15% of all the people hospitalized are on ventilators. Uh, you can see an updated report on L.A. County cases on the Department of Health's web, Public Health's website at publichealth.lacounty.gov. And I want to note that our rate of hospitalizations and utilization rates for uh, both ICU beds and for ventilators has remained also relatively steady over the past week. And I'm grateful to all of the health care workers who have responded to make sure that people are, in fact, able to get care and recovering. We are currently investigating 185 institutional settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. This is eight additional investigations since yesterday. Uh, this includes investigations that are happening in nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, and correctional facilities. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is 1,372. 681 of the people uh, who are confirmed as positive are residents in the settings, and 691 are staff and employees. And I'm sad to report that 92 residents uh, who have died from COVID-19 were residing in institutional settings, primarily at skilled nursing and assisted living facilities. And this represents 29% of our deaths. And I want to thank everybody who's working so hard in all of our nursing homes and our congregate living facilities to provide care. Uh, we're with you in the need to make sure that employees at all of these settings have the personal protection equipment that is desperately needed in order for them to remain of service to some of our most vulnerable residents. Uh, we're also reporting 89 confirmed cases in jail facilities. This includes 26 inmates and 63 staff. There are 28 cases reported in our state prisons uh, in L.A. County. That's 18 inmates and 10 staff. And there are four cases reported from our juvenile facilities, and these were all among staff. We're also reporting 14 cases at a Department of Children and Family Services facility, and this is one young person and 13 staff. Uh, we post a list of facilities with confirmed cases on our website once uh, families, uh, residents, and staff have all been notified. Uh, and I want to note that with the spread of COVID-19 in our communities, uh, we continue to see 
more and more cases among staff and residents at institutional settings. And I know this is a challenging time to try to figure out how to best meet the needs that often require that people remain in institutional settings while making sure that we have every protection possible, both for residents and staff. And I hope you know that we have DPH teams that work with every single facility that has a positive case so that management and staff, along with county support, can do their very best to protect the health of people who are residing in our facilities. Uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is reporting 33 positive cases among staff today. They have 429 staff that are quarantined or have been quarantined and 230 staff that have already returned to work. The L.A. County Fire Department is reporting 16 positive cases among staff. There are 19 people quarantined in their homes, three who are isolated in their homes because they're ill, and 13 who have already returned to work. And I want to again thank Sheriff Villanueva and Chief Osby for tracking and reporting this data. Uh, almost 52,000 people have been tested in L.A. County to date, uh, who have report and we have reported results for, and the positivity rate amongst those tested is at 13%. We have almost all of the backlog of negative cases uh, entered into our uh, electronic lab record reporting system, and so uh, I think we're only missing about another 2,200 negative cases that we'll be adding in over this week. Uh, and testing capacity has increased. Um, but because it's still limited and because there are still significant time lags in getting results, testing is still recommended only for those people who are symptomatic. And I, 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 I'm grateful for all of the work that Dr. Kazan has done to open up testing capacity along with the work that's being done at the city. Uh, and we're looking forward to making sure that we address issues of barriers to testing in some of our communities where people have less resources. So hopefully over the next few weeks, everybody who needs to get tested uh, because their provider has asked that they be tested is going to be able to get tested and we're going to be able to get those results in a timely way. Um, today I wanted to also provide you with an update on cases amongst healthcare workers. Uh, first, I want to start by thanking uh, every single person that works in our healthcare facilities, from the receptionists and the cleaning crews to the nurses and the physicians. Your jobs are especially challenging during the pandemic, and we're grateful for your dedication and your ability to come to work every single day so that we can all receive the care that we need uh, when we seek uh, medical services. I am sad to report that over the last month, we have lost three people. Uh, who have died, who worked in healthcare settings. Uh, two people uh, worked in hospitals and one person worked for correctional health. And again, our prayers are with families and friends of these uh, brave individuals who really lost their lives while providing a service to all of us. At the end of last week, uh, there were 787 confirmed cases of COVID-19 among healthcare workers. Nurses account for nearly one third of all the cases and physicians account for another 9% of cases. However, there are many different types of healthcare workers who are known to be among those with a positive COVID-19 diagnosis. This includes EMTs, receptionists, lab workers, um, as well as workers from all of the other healthcare occupations. The majority of healthcare workers, about 60%, did not know or report on their source of exposure. 
those who did know their source of exposure, 24% were exposed to COVID-19 through contact with a patient or another healthcare worker. And again, I want to note that we continue to track what's happening in our healthcare facilities so that we can make sure that our workers are protected uh, to the greatest ability possible. Uh, the cases among healthcare workers are from 22 different clinical settings across the county, but 43% of them worked in hospitals, 19% worked in skilled nursing or assisted living facilities, and 12% worked in outpatient settings. Uh, we support all the work that's being done to make sure that every healthcare worker has the personal protective equipment that's needed. And we know that our, the best way to help healthcare workers is to make sure that they are safe as possible when they go to work every day to save lives. The word grateful does not begin to describe how we feel about our healthcare workers. Uh, their heroism and sacrifice cannot be understated, and we thank them very much. I wanted to close by spending a little bit of time talking about what it means to self-isolate and to self-quarantine. Um, and as the virus spreads, more and more of us will need to take these steps. It's really important that people understand that the heart and soul of us being able to contain the virus over the many months of a pandemic isn't the ability for people to know when they have to self-isolate and when they have to quarantine. So let me just issue the reminder. If you've tested positive for COVID-19, if you have symptoms of COVID-19, if you have symptoms and you're waiting for your test results, or you've been told by a provider that you're likely to be positive for COVID-19, you must self-isolate immediately for seven days and 72 hours after your fever and your symptoms subside. And let me just walk through what it means to self-isolate. It means that you're going to need to stay home at all times except for a medical appointment. And when you're home, we ask that you stay in a specific room that's just for you, away from other people in your home, as much as possible. If that's not possible, please use a cloth drape or some other physical barrier to create a space that allows you to be separate from other people in your home and make sure that you are always keeping a six-foot barrier from everyone else in your house. And if you have to be around anybody else or you're leaving for a medical appointment, you must wear a clean cloth face covering. Don't allow any visitors into any part of your home. Don't handle pets. Don't provide child care. Uh, and don't care for other people, other members of a household. If you can, and it's possible, use a separate bathroom from everyone else in your home. And if that's not possible, the bathroom needs to be cleaned every time, after every time you use the bathroom. And you need to be sure that any common surfaces or objects that you must touch, like in a kitchen, are cleaned and disinfected after you use them. Don't prepare or serve food to anyone else in your home. And most importantly, we're asking you to please tell all your close contacts that you had for 48 hours before you had any other any symptoms, uh, before you self-isolated, before you got sick, that you have COVID-19 or are presumed to have the virus and that they will need to quarantine themselves. Staying away from everyone, keeping objects and surfaces you use clean and disinfected, 
and notifying close contacts are very important steps that we ask everyone to take who must self-isolate. And if you've been a close contact of someone who's positive or presumed to be positive for COVID-19, please self-quarantine. And this is unfortunately for 14 days from the last time you were with that person. And self-quarantining is similar to self-isolating. It means you need to stay home at all times except for medical appointments. No shopping, no visiting other people in your home or in other homes, uh, no going out uh, at all. You're, you're quarantining and staying home and away from everyone else. Um, and it is hard to stay away from other people who live in your household, but we ask that you do your very best. And if possible, you too should be quarantining in a separate room and using a separate bathroom. You too need to stay away from children, from pets, and from other people that you might have been a caregiver for in your house. You too need to not prepare food or serve food while you're quarantining. And this is hard because in general, people who are quarantining feel well. They're not sick, they may not be symptomatic, but you're gonna need to remain in quarantine for the full 14 days to make sure that you too don't start to develop symptoms and infect others with COVID-19. So people who are self-isolating and self-quarantine should not be going out to get food, medicine, and other essentials. So for all of us, it's a good idea to prepare now in case you're going to need to self-isolate or quarantine. And this means stocking up on supplies for a two-week period and figuring out how you may need to get some supplies delivered. If you're tested positive for COVID-19, I also want to make sure people understand that the Department of Public Health will have someone that reaches out to you on the phone. So please take our call because we're able to provide you with essential information about how to be safe. And we will call everybody who we get a confirmed laboratory test from. There's also detailed guidance on self-isolation and self-quarantine on the L.A. County Department of Public Health website. That's publichealth.lacounty.gov. I know that L.A. County's already proven that we're able to work together and we're taking the measures we need to to slow the spread of COVID-19. And I'm really thankful for this. By engaging in all these measures, following the health officer order, staying home, physically distancing, wearing cloth face coverings, self-isolating, and self-quarantining, we're protecting ourselves and we're protecting our family, friends, neighbors, and communities. We're extraordinarily grateful to be part of this wonderful community. And now it's my pleasure to introduce Chief Ray Leva from uh, the Department of Probation. We're getting today's update from Los Angeles County officials on the COVID-19 response. Uh, Dr. Ferrer did say 239 new cases. That's the fewest, uh, the lowest 24-hour increase since March 26th. Now, Chief Ray Leva here for the probation department. I'm acting as the chief probation officer for the county of Los Angeles during this time period. And talk about a challenging assignment walking in the door. But it's uh, been exciting, and I'm so proud of the members of the probation department and the passion that they bring to the job on a daily basis when they're working um, 
caring for the youth and the adults in our population. For those of you who are not familiar with the work that the L.A. County Probation Department does, we supervise over 37,000 adults on a daily basis and 58 youth in the community and, and also operate two juvenile halls and six juvenile camps and treatment facilities. Probation is dedicated to the safety of everyone who lives in, works in, and visits our juvenile facilities and area offices. We are following the guidelines of the Department of Public Health and Health Services to limit or prevent the spread of COVID-19 among staff and youth. Currently, and I'm proud to say there are no youth who have tested positive for COVID-19 um, or are pending results. All Any youth that did have any any of a slight indicator, I think we had several youth that had a fever. We tested for COVID-19, and they have all come back negative. Probation staff, on the other hand, I have to sadly report that we have 16 probation staff that have tested positive. Six of those staff have worked in the juvenile facilities, and nine are working outside of the juvenile uh, facilities. But they are all doing well. <clears throat> I want to thank the probation employees who are showing up to work to do essential functions, including those who are working at our juvenile facilities to provide care for the youth in our charge. Our staff work side-by-side side with medical professionals from Juvenile Court Health Services and the Department of Mental, of Mental Health, who are constantly monitoring the health and well-being of our youth. We have instituted several precautions to keep the youth safe and our staff safe, including, but not limited to, uh, keeping youth congregation down to six or, or less uh, when possible, having youth shower individually instead of group showers. And during mealtime, we encourage youth to sit at separate tables and in small groups, less than four if at all possible, to maintain that social, dis social distancing. And in the event that we do have a child or youth that tests positive, we are looking at locations within probation where we can isolate and quarantine that, uh, that youth. Fortunately, we have not had to do that, and we look forward to being able to maintain that zero uh, uh, level. Visitation at uh, the halls and residential treatment facilities remains suspended, and to cope with that and the isolation that youth feel, we are looking at uh, extending our phone privileges to the youth and providing additional services through either video conferencing. Uh, or extended phone times. We are working with our justice partners constantly to evaluate youth in our care to try to reduce the number of population in our halls and camps. And to that end, I'm happy to say that within the last five weeks, we have reduced our population by over 30% in the halls and the camps, which is a tremendous achievement on our part given the, given the restrictions that we work under. Probation, unlike the jails, and the sheriff does not have the authority to release youth on its own. We have to work with our partners and the judiciary to give us the okay and the authority to release them. In wrapping it up, I have to close by saying that the responsibility to ensure community safety lies heavily with us and to protect the public safety in our communities and within our, uh, our facilities during this declared state of emergency. Probation staff stands ready to fulfill our duties 
to the juvenile and the adult population that we serve. Wanda, we are now ready to take questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press 1 to 0 at this time. If you're using a speakerphone, we ask that you please take up the handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press 1 followed by 0 at this time. First question. And our first question will come from the line of Patrick Healy with NBC4. Your line is open. Hey, Patrick. Patrick Healy, your line is open. Well, I'm not going to go out on a limb here and say that somebody screwed something up, but I think somebody we'll screwed something up. We'll go on to the next up. question and hold in. Patrick gets on. We'll have him come back. How do you screw this up? Certainly. Take- next, we'll go to the line of Melanie Mason with Los Angeles Times. Your Dave Bongo. Hi, this is a question for Dr. Ferrer. Uh, this is with regards to the modeling that L.A. County put out on Friday. Um, we've heard uh, from a lot of people who want to know a little bit more about what the model shows in terms of uh, how many new cases are being predicted at the peak, the projections for the total number of deaths, and when the projection uh, shows the curve going down to perhaps a handful of cases per day. Um, is that information that you'll be releasing, um, and what would the time frame for that information be? Sure. Um, th- this, is, this is Barbara. So I, I'm asking Dr. Galley, who's here with us, to, to come up and talk a little bit more about the modeling. Um, I do think, um, as, as we noted from the very beginning, um, it's a model and uh, it gives us some good information, um, but it's not necessarily going to be able to tell us exactly uh, where we're going to be uh, for either the peak or what that case count is going to look like. Uh, at the peak. Um, so we're going to continue to rely on the information that we gather every day to help us uh, really take a look at exactly what's happening. Um, and again, you know, although we reported a relatively low number of new cases today, uh, I want to uh, be cautiously, only cautiously optimistic because always on Mondays we have a lag because of uh, the lab reporting issues uh, and, and the lack of uh, testing that happens over the weekend. So, but I'm going to ask Dr. Uh, Galley to join us up here. I'm Dr. Christina Galley from the Department of Health Services. Thanks for the question. Uh, I agree with the points that Dr. Ferrer raised. Uh, the model looks at projecting out the number of cases and contingent upon that, the number of hospital beds, ICU beds, and ventilators that are anticipated to be needed if social distancing is maintained over the coming few weeks. And what you'll notice on those curves uh, for the slides that are posted on the county and the DHS website is that that curve continues to rise continuously at a slow rate. So because of that, uh, you can't see the peak in cases in the time period along which the model uh, plays out. What will indicate a peak is really in retrospect when we see those numbers coming down. And I think really for these purposes in that sense, and uh, talking about the peak isn't um, 
the, the most helpful way to think about this. A peak is something that we see in infectious diseases when we have the ability really to get to herd immunity through vaccination or where you're anticipating that there's a large number of the population that will no longer be susceptible. And once you hit that benchmark, whether it's 60% herd immunity or whatever number people are using, you start to anticipate that you've hit your peak and then the numbers go down. Because we're taking a different approach with COVID-19, there's not the ability to get to that 60% herd immunity or higher levels of herd immunity because the lack of a vaccination. We're using the approach around public health interventions, infection control interventions like hand washing and masking and physical distancing measures like being safer at home and quarantine and isolation. And because of that, the, the model does project us a rise, but a slower rise, one that can be accommodated within the existing capacity of the healthcare system rather than building toward a peak. Uh, so we'll continue to update that model over time uh, with the new data, uh, make sure that it's continuously updated and we'll make those slides available. But hopefully that makes sense as to why I don't think the peak is either possible to predict at this point or the most useful way to look at it. Next question. Next, we'll go to the line of Celeste Freeman. Your line is open. Um, hi, this question is for Chief Leva. Um, it's my understanding that you've submitted over 50 cases um, to have kids released from camps. Um, are you still submitting cases for the halls? And if so, about how many? And secondly, I see everything's being set up. Uh, secondly, um, uh, uh, you know, how much luck are you having in getting those kids released? We had commented that we had submitted 50 cases to the judiciary for their consideration. We actually submitted slightly more than that, and they took it upon themselves to uh, look beyond what we our recommendation. And last week, a uh, week and a half, they had actually released 66 uh, juveniles from our care. And we continue to submit cases, working in partnership with the alternate public defender, public defender, uh, as we evaluate the different cases uh, that they bring to us, uh, along with those that we search out on our own, to the courts. And again, as I said before, it is up to the ju judiciary to make that recommendation or to give that order to be released. And, but we believe that we are being very successful up to this point. Next question. Next, we'll go to the line of Patrick Healy with NBC4. Your line is open. Well, thank you for your patience. I hope you can hear me now okay. Um, if, uh, peak is not a good word to use. Is it fair to say we have reached a plateau where the increase of the number of new cases has decreased? And secondarily, why do we think the mortality rate keeps going up even though we're catching up on that backlog of negatives? Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um so let, let me talk about the, the mortality rate going up. I mean, one one issue um, that that we should all just pay attention to is uh, that that oftentimes people who pass away or who die 
uh, can be sick for quite a quite a long while before they actually die. So um, if you look at what's happening in New York City, for example, you'll see that their mortality rates are going up while their case counts are going down. It's because people are sick and they've been sick for a while and they, they, they may still pass away and not fully recover. So we are going to have a little bit of lag in terms of what mortality is doing, what deaths are doing, when compared to what cases are doing. And I do want to just be cautious about uh, whether we've reached a plateau. Uh, you know, we, we are, again, you know, last week's numbers uh, stayed pretty steady. Uh, the weekend always seems to drop, and again, I think it's because of the lag time on the labs and, and the lack of... Um, having a, 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 the same amount of lab testing over the weekend. Um, this will be a, a critical week again to see whether we maintain sort of a steady number. Uh, but I do want to note that we're only testing about five or 6,000 people a day and that the positivity rate on the test has really hovered somewhere between 10 and 15 percent the entire time, which means that if we double the number of pieces, people that are going to be tested and that positivity rate still stays fairly constant, we will see more cases at that point. Uh, we've always been honest about noting that um, we unfortunately are limited in really uh, understanding exactly who's infected at any given point in time because of the limitations on testing. Uh, you know, we learn more every day from the science. You know, one thing we know is that there are some people who are asymptomatic and could, in fact, be uh, infectious. And the other is that we know there's a fair amount of mild illness and people aren't getting tested necessarily with mild illness. Um, so uh, I've always said, you know, for the last, like, three weeks, we have to go through our days every day imagining that either we could infect somebody else or somebody else could infect us. Um, because in the absence of having as much testing as we would all like, and with the knowledge that asymptomatic people may be able to transmit, we don't know exactly who's positive at any given moment in time. We certainly don't know with enough certainty to have that be, uh, you know, uh, the way we sort of protect ourselves. So it's why isolation, quarantine, really appropriate when you know you've had an exposure. And for all the rest of us, we have to just go through the world taking universal precautions at this point against any respiratory illness. But thanks for your question. Next question. Next, we'll go to the line of Matt Hamilton with LA Times. Your line is open. Hi. Uh, thank you for being available for this. Uh, my question is for Dr. Ferrer, um, and it's why are you, why is your agency not providing more detailed numbers about the outbreaks at institutional settings, uh, given that they're now nearly 30% of the deaths. I mean, do you not have detailed numbers about number of residents tested and number of staff members tested, or are you just unwilling to provide it to the public? Oh, no. I mean, we're not unwilling to provide it, and, and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll explain what the dilemma is. Um, in many of the facilities, once there's a couple of people that have tested positive for COVID-19, then other residents who have respiratory illness symptoms uh, don't necessarily all get tested. We just assume that they're positive and they receive that treatment uh, as if they were positive. In other words, they're isolated uh, at the facilities. Should they get uh, sicker, should they have uh, more serious illness, they will then be taken uh, to the hospital where they will uh, in all likelihood be tested. But so it's a little misleading 
what we track because we we would have sort of what we call a lot of presumptive COVID-19 uh, patients that may be residing in a facility, but we actually don't have uh, everyone that's been tested. Um, but I, I appreciate the question and, and the concern, and we've tried to note now on the the sheets that are, in fact, posted every day where we consider there's an outbreak because there's uh, three or more people that either residents that are either positive or there's um, one resident that's positive and two presumed to be positive residents. Uh, but we could look at if, if you're feeling like, you know, we're we're trying to, like, not give you good information. I never want you to feel that way. So let me talk to my staff about maybe creating a table that acknowledges the presumptive folks as well as those who have had the positive tests. Because, uh, you know, we want people to have the kind of information that, that helps them make sense of what's going on. So, so thanks for raising that. Next question. Next, we'll go to the line of Claudio Pafuta with KNX News. Your line is open. Hey, following up on Matt's question, if you guys could list the number of deaths at particular institutions, that would be helpful as well. And uh, just want to find out if there are any outbreaks among homeless people. Um, Barbara, do you think uh, we'll get to the point where people without symptoms are tested in order to identify silent spreaders? And then going back to the question about a peak, I mean, we do have state officials talking about a peak in mid-May. You know, the, I think it was the University of Washington analysis saying a peak for California on Wednesday. So uh, do you think that, that other officials should stop talking about a peak, given that you're saying it's not really helpful to look at things that way? Thank you. Um, okay, so let me, let me um, start with the questions about uh, people in institutional settings. Um, and, uh, yes, I, I, bel- I mean, I, I always try to capture the number of people who died, uh, in institutional settings, and we're looking now at whether or not we can assign them to a particular setting. I, I want to again say one of the reasons why it's been complicated to post this is many times residents are not dying in the nursing facility uh, where they got ill, and they're actually dying at a hospital, and then we have to actually go through their medical records to figure out uh, which nursing facility they might have been in, and it takes us a little bit of time to just make sure we're doing that uh, appropriately. Again, it's not meant to um, not give good information. It's just sometimes it, there's a, a little bit of a lag before we actually can tie all that back because many people are, in fact, dying uh, in the hospital, and they're not necessarily uh, dying at, at one of our uh, nursing homes or, or congregate living institutions, assisted living. Um, another question that you asked was um, related to uh, outbreak amongst homeless people. Uh, you know, we, we have a significant number of cases. We don't have any signs of an outbreak. Uh, we have quarantined folks at a couple of the interim housing facilities, a couple of the shelters. Uh, to date, we don't have uh, any signs of an outbreak uh, at either of those shelters. But I, I also want to note, again, that um, we haven't uh, had the capacity to test everyone who's a person experiencing homelessness uh, who might be particularly unsheltered uh, and symptomatic and just not having good access to testing. So I would say, although we have no evidence of an outbreak, I would say uh, it's it may be, again, a, a problem with the fact that we haven't done enough testing. So I don't want to really say I know for sure there are no outbreaks because I, I don't think that would be accurate. Um, and then in, in terms of the modeling, you know, um, I, I think it's fine that people talk about 
the usefulness of the models in different ways. It doesn't really, I, I don't think it's really a cause for concern. And I think that's what Dr. Galley was saying. It's like, you know, we all look at different pieces of the models to help us help guide decision making. And what's most useful for us is actually looking at uh, the rates right now of people using hospitals and what kinds of services they're needing in hospitals and trying to increase our capacity around testing so that we better understand, uh, you know, what does it look like across our communities in terms of infection rates. Um, but I don't think it's harmful to, to actually think about the fact that at some point you're going to start uh, a downward trend uh, in reporting on both cases, new cases, and reporting on the number of deaths. And that we're all looking forward to those days. But I think in terms of planning, it's probably most helpful to look at all of the data we check in on on a regular basis to really figure out what we need to do next. So thank you. And next question. This is going to be our last question. So one more question, please. Next, we'll go to the line of David Rosenfeld with uh, LA Daily News. Your line is open. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I wonder if you can comment on a uh, situation at hospitals. You know, we're hearing from a lot of administrators that their occupancy is down quite a bit, in some cases up to 40%. And I'm wondering how does that uh, jive with uh, the numbers that we're hearing from you all, that there are only about 1,500 hospital beds available countywide? Um, that's the first question. The second question is, with uh, conflicting messages that might be coming from the federal government in a month, with the president saying he wants to open the country by May, how do you expect that to play out with um, you know, your own decisions locally? Thank you. Hi, I'll take the first question, uh, which was with respect to the low occupancy rate in hospitals. Uh, and you're absolutely right, uh, both for the DHS hospitals, we're running at about 50 to 60 percent of our normal staffed occupancy. The same is true, I know, of a number of private hospitals across the region, though the exact percentage does vary by hospital. When we report out the numbers that we do daily and that are posted on the DHS website, it's based on uh, both a sampling of of the 70 beds with emergency departments that are 911 receiving centers. So there are 10 or so hospitals uh, that have available bed capacity that are don't operate emergency departments, and those are not in those numbers. So that's part of the difference. And then also hospitals are reporting their staffed occupancy. So what they're counting is if a patient came into their ED today and needed a bed, how many beds do they have that are staffed and ready to go? So what hospitals normally do, and this is just good operations, is as their occupancy declines, they will not intentionally staff certain beds. Uh, but as their occupancy goes back up, they can uh, quickly ramp up again their staffing on those beds. So what you see as the available staffed beds is a, what I would consider to be a, a, a very lower bounds of the number of beds that are truly available in the region. Those bed counts then don't count. Those, the, those numbers don't include the beds that can easily be staffed up. They don't include those other 10 hospitals, and they don't include the other surge capacity that has been put online, for example, at the L.A. Surge Hospital, the Mercy Ship, and other sites. Yeah, no, and, and thanks for the second question. And, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that, um, 
You know, uh, we work very closely with our partners at the federal level, particularly with CDC and HHS, uh, NIH. Um, and I, I think there's a 100% agreement that the strategies about what happens uh, locally really need to be determined by the conditions locally. And we have a lot of variation across the country. Um, so I, I know uh, the president's are really anxious uh, for us to reopen. We're really anxious for us to reopen. I think everyone knows that uh, reopening is going to be staggered, and we're going to make sure that what we don't do is act with some haste that causes a significant increase uh, in both the number of cases and, and just as importantly, in the number of deaths. Um, so we'll be using the information we have locally. I think we all share the same – we all have the same intent here. Uh, which is, you know, we want to get to the other side of this. We want to get to the other side of this uh, without causing uh, either a collapse of our health care system or unnecessary deaths and illness. Uh, and to do that, we have to look at the local conditions. So uh, I think we're working towards the same goals, and uh, we've had a, a wonderful partnership with all of uh, the, the federal agencies that support the work that's happening here. And I know that that's going to continue. Um, and thank you very much. Uh, that closes the English portion of the press briefing, and we'll now move to uh, having Spanish remarks. There you go. That's uh, the latest update from Los Angeles County. Uh, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of Public Health, announced 25 new deaths. Uh, We're up to 320 deaths in uh, Los Angeles. And she kept referring to this mortality rate, but I'm not even going to repeat it simply because we don't know. We don't know how many people in L.A. County have coronavirus. We know how many people who have tested positive um, she did also say in terms of the number of people who have tested positive at 239, that was our lowest 24-hour increase since March 26th, which is good news. So she we could have hit a peak? Could have. Could have been plateauing a bit. But the other part about it, which is a frustrating thing, is that she said there's often a lag on Mondays because of the lack of testing or the lack of as robust testing over the weekend. Now, in terms of keeping everything in perspective, remember, there are 10 million people in Los Angeles County, 10 million, 52,000 tests have come back, and 9,000 people have tested positive, 9,420, which is 13%. Yeah, that is a good figure, isn't it? It's a great figure, because remember, even if you feel like you have some of the symptoms and you talk to your doctor, you may not get tested. Depending, I mean, that's up to you and your healthcare provider, but you may not get tested. If you uh, if you don't have the symptoms, you're clearly not going to be tested unless for some reason you're in the healthcare uh, arena and you have access to a test if you're not symptomatic. We do not know how many people have coronavirus, COVID-19 in Los Angeles County, so we do not know the mortality rate. Right. Uh, and I don't know why we keep putting a figure out when it's really hard to determine what that would possibly be when you're playing with completely incomplete numbers. numbers. Yeah. The the other the last question there I thought was interesting because I had been saying all day that the conversations have finally begun of what does restarting the economy and society in general what does it look like? And uh Dr. Ferrer said, you know, it's clear that we have those conversations going on. She's eager to get back to work. She says the president's eager to get back to work, but that she's nowhere near putting a date on it. Well, and it's a day-by-day thing, you know, and it keeps moving. You know, it was today when Governor Newsom said that they're going to be working with the officials up in Washington and Oregon 
on a shared approach to reopening economies uh, to try to control this. You saw the same thing out of New York today. There will be six six states that work together to figure out what it's going to be. We're in unprecedented times. We don't know what it's going to look like. It's very hard to put a date on it. However, L.A. Unified Superintendent came out today and said that the closure of the schools will be for the remainder of the year as well as the summer. Yeah, and if you think about those the those staggering um, whatever whatever things that need to be staggered, Dr. Ferrer used that term, in order to get things back to, I guess, normal, whatever whatever that looks like on the other side of this, you are still going to have lo- the largest events not taking place. You're not going to have sporting events in the next couple of months that have any sort of audience to them. You're not going to see 35,000 people crowd into Fenway Park anytime soon or Yankee Stadium or Dodger Stadium for that matter. So those types of things are you know, the the largest opportunities for this thing to spread are not coming back anytime soon, but maybe restaurants and parks and beaches and things like that can reopen. As long as you now. keep your distance, like you said earlier, possibly restaurants open only to 50 percent capacity or and, you can only have every other three tables. And I think a lot of people are just going to do that themselves without the county or the the state telling them to do that. They're just going to be a little bit more aware of maybe I don't lick the doorknobs. To every place I go. It's just going to look a lot different for the next year, year and a half. All right. So we'll see. Tomorrow is supposed to be a big day when it comes to uh, the announcements about how the economy does start back up. The president is announcing his task force, although I understand that uh, some of those names have already leaked. And then we'll also get some information from the governor uh, about the coordination with Oregon and Washington and what it looks like uh, for the West Coast to get back to work. worry. Dr. Fauci isn't going anywhere. He's not getting fired, but we are we are starting to get the emails from people who think he's a he's a beast. So he's a beast, huh? Yeah, there are people who think that he's undermining the president. And um, all right, yeah. Well, the John and Ken show is coming up next. Thank goodness. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. Gary and Shannon. Ciao. Ciao. Farmers and Distillers Dining Room and Patio are now open and accepting reservations. They're following all the government guidelines so you can choose to dine out safely or if you want to stay in, they've got you covered. You can order for curbside pickup or delivery online at FarmersAndDistillers.com. They're also still offering a robust one-stop shop founding farmers market and grocery for all your daily grocery needs. Offerings include fresh produce, a prepared foods market, full bakery, butcher and deli, house-churned ice cream, house-roasted coffee, wine, beer and more. Visit FoundingFarmersMarket.com to order. Same-day delivery of available.